You're listening to the We Are Libertarians podcast network. Find all of our shows at wearelibertarians.com. You're listening to the We Are Libertarians network. Learn more at wearelibertarians.com. The Boss Hog of Liberty podcast is the latest hit on the We Are Libertarians network. Each week, Jeremiah Morrill and Dakota Davis explore life in Henry County, Indiana. It's a show about our circle of friends, public officials, and our experiences. 80% observation, life, humor, and 20% politics. Boss Hog of Liberty is the day-to-day happenings of Henry County, Indiana, which is just like your community. Add us on iTunes and sample us today. Dear Leader would want you to. Oh, f- the Johnny Rocket Launchpad is Liberty. Each week, we strive to bring you the best guests in talk radio. The Johnny Rocket Launchpad delivers weekly interviews of noteworthy politicians, experts, and activists. The Johnny Rocket Launchpad is bringing the party to the Libertarian Party and launching ideas in your direction. Check us out at johnnyrocketlaunchpad.com. You can hear me, Kurt Nelson, and the beautiful Heather Nixon talk about the ideas of liberty rock and roll. Hey guys, this is Roger Paxton, and if you're fed up with the government running every single aspect of your life, but you're not listening to the Lava Flow podcast yet, then what's wrong with you? Check us out at thelavaflow.com, or just go back to sucking up to the government. The Lava Flow podcast, striking the root every single episode. It's time to shake up your podcast feed, folks, by subscribing to Lions of Liberty, the only libertarian variety show out there. Spend Mondays with me, Mark Clare, as I feature in-depth interviews with great names in the libertarian community and fun roundtable discussions. Electric Liberty Land with me, Brian McWilliams, every Wednesday, your weekly dose of comedy, culture, and liberty. And Felony Fridays with me, John Odermatt, where I expose injustice in the broken criminal justice system. Find us on iTunes, Stitcher, and at lionsofliberty.com. Welcome to We Are Libertarians. I'm your host, Chris Spangle. We bring you all of the irreverence modern politics deserves while putting people before political parties. We examine current events from a libertarian perspective with the goal of leaving you better informed. Please be sure to rate and review us on iTunes, like us on Facebook, and subscribe on Patreon at wearelibertarians.com. In exchange for supporting our program, we give you all kinds of bonus content and free stuff. We give you all kinds of extra content, so great way. Plus, the best part about becoming a Patreon subscriber is you get access to the community. And you get to be a part of the social group, and it's a lot of fun in Dear Leader's Court. This show is crowdsourced, so you can send us news with the hashtag WALnews or on our Facebook group and Discord channel. We're always taking your questions and comments via email at editor at wearelibertarians.com. Please be warned that this show is raw, unedited, and authentic, so the language is sometimes strong and offensive. My name is Chris Spangle. Like I said, with me is Harry Price. Harry, how are you? Going good, going good. And we are going to cover North Korea. We're going to talk about uh, the NSA scandal that is brewing. We're going to talk about Julian Assange. We're going to talk about the budget and all the awful, horrible, mean, terrible cuts that uh, Donald Trump. ICE is targeting political dissidents and deporting illegals. And we're going to talk about hot teachers having sex with their students and students unable to say no. If they get asked to dance, first off, why do I have the only? What what is this? What it's a uh, lotion. It's cocoa butter. Yeah, I know butter. for what reason. Mm-hmm. Why'd you bring it here? Um, well, 
Black Panther, you know, this weekend. So I got to make right. sure my skin is, you know, completely oiled and ready. You know, I'm going to show out for Black Panther. If you're going to buy cocoa butter, can you buy the cocoa butter that smells like cocoa instead of whatever trash this is? How dare you? This is like the, the, the healing kind. This is the very good Vaseline kind. Okay. From, and I don't like really cookies and cream or that little that sweet well, garbage. But like cocoa butter's cocoa butter. It's not meant to be, you know, flavored. Well, yeah, you're right. Then why do you want to smell like cookies? Yeah, cocoa is cocoa. Why wouldn't you want to smell like cookies? I don't want to smell like cookies because, you know, then I may want a cookie. You, know? you have 50% more uh, I'm, likely I'm, I'm that keto. I'd be attracted to you. I'm, I'm keto. Are okay, you? okay. Last thing I need is the carbs from the, uh, you know, from the cookie smell. Yeah. Uh, shout out to uh, uh, Lauren. She's a Patreon subscriber. She listened to the keto episode that I did with Bittner. She's lost mm-hmm. a ton of weight. She looks really good. Yeah. We are libertarians changing lives. It's getting me beach body ready. One bacon at a time. You know, it's awesome, especially like when you take um, some Kerrygold and wrap uh, bacon in it and just eat the Ooh. whole stick of Kerrygold with the bacon wrap. Kerrygold, oh. you want to you want a real treat, Plugar. Plugar? Yeah, you go to Kroger and it's in this fancy cheese section. It's a European style butter. You make that, you mm. use that to make co- chocolate chip cookies. Yeah. Never going to use any other butter. Yeah, I've got a friend who's he's been doing keto because my other person that was doing keto to help me out with it he left me getting and, a little chubby by the way have you seen pictures yeah that's what he gets moved, uh, moved to boston and getting a stops, little stops doing stops doing yoga with me had to hang out with roger paxton the other night could you yeah. imagine being stuck with roger paxton and brett bittner oh man sounds like a screech fest i felt so bad for morgan <laughs> uh all right so let's let's jump into it the olympics i love the olympics how do you feel about the olympics harry yeah they're okay you know, I, I I like certain events. Some events I like to watch, uh, like figure skating, um, curling. That's that's always fun to watch. My two least favorite. What? Maybe maybe the cross country skiing. I really boring. I like the ski jumps. That's boring. If you boring, the that's ski bo- jumps are not boring. It's boring. Ooh, they're gonna go up in the air. Ooh, they're gonna come down. Yeah, they might die. It's like racing. You want you want the thrill it of will is they not live racing? Will they that well? That's like the little. Can we agree that like the racing around on the, the ice skating, the, the ice skate, the speed skate, the speed skating, boring. It would be more fun if they got more black people on it because it'd be faster, <laughs> right? Okay, All right. <laughs> uh, no comment. <laughs> Despite me, you know, bagging on your cocoa butter, I, I yeah. will not comment on this. <laughs> I I love the ski jumps. I love the downhill slaloms. I love okay, the, that's, yeah, that's, that's okay. fun. Uh, the snowboarding's fun. Yeah, uh, some of the figure skating is not not that bad. It needs. Uh, I wish they had some more like winter rally racing. That'd be cool. Introduce some cars into it. But the hockey's always good to watch. What? Zamboni races. Which is like, have you seen the articles about them going out getting the best of the best Zambonis? No. And yeah, they apparently like they they went out. No, oh, I'm I'm. For everyone listening, I'm sorry to derail this about Zamboni talk, but uh, they <laughs> they went out uh, to the um, because they were trying to get the ice set up for the you know for you know for the Olympics, and they realized they they needed they needed some be- somebody better. So they got one consultant over, like, hey, just go get some NHL guys. There's, it's going to take you guys too long to learn how to do this ice perfect to get it perfect each time so yeah so they went out to minnesota and got a couple of uh, the you know the up the tip top nhl zamboni drivers out there interesting yeah they got the guy that's like uh, in zamboni's in his blood his dad's doing it for 30 years and he's been doing it for the last 20 and i'm like this is awesome <laughs> it's like the zamboni olympics now i i love the olympics and i thought the uh, excuse me 
Which would you, are like, we going to do this? I'm. I don't know. It's eight o'clock. We we normally start at seven. Harry was late, and uh, I was, which was fine because I was rushed doing prep, and so we're starting late. So I apologize. I'm apparently going to be yawning the entire time. But the the opening ceremonies were great. Uh, I thought it was really watching the North Koreans walk in with the South Koreans, and you can't tell what country any of the athletes are from. Like you watch it and you go. Oh yeah, I forgot that governments start wars and not people. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's like, oh yeah, that's right. It's the people. It's the the guy in the stands named Mike Pence with too much cologne, and his and his uh, rival, the you know soon to be fed to dog sister. Mm-hmm. You yeah. just go. Those are the people that start the wars because they're they're, they're boneheads. I don't even know why you would start a war. Like, I literally can't. I mean. If I were a politician, I'd just look at them and go, "Why are we do? Why? Why are we having a war? <laughs> like yeah. I don't, I don't get it." it yeah, because yeah, because a lot of them don't make any sense. And then it's like, well, can't the, you know? I think it's a lot of posturing and right. And, and when it comes down to it, like you know, most wars have been started like at least in the last what thirty, forty years. Has it really been between government to government, or just been radical group to our government? Right. You know. It's exactly Sorry. right. Sorry, <clears throat> status talk. United States government. Not, I don't have a government. Now let me say this: um, big fan of America. Okay, I'm a I'm a big fan of. I'm rooting for America. I'm no, Team I'm America. Not. I'm a non-interventionist, which means I love peace. Okay, but uh, just because I'm a non-interventionist, it doesn't make me one of these liberal pe- peacenik hippies who fawn over this. Dog meat of a woman. Oh yeah, <laughs> like Kim, Kim Jong Un's sister is. Uh, she visited last weekend the opening ceremonies, mm-hmm. and she is Kim Yo Jong is basically the the second in command. So when when Kim Jong Un got sick, she's the one that took over, and he's very protective of her. She's the she's basically the heir to the throne, for lack of a better word, right. uh, and. I just, I get so annoyed. Well, the one he hasn't like, killed. Right. Like, it's not that I view North Korea as our enemy. It's that I view them as horrific human beings who are monsters on Earth, and she's not glamorous. The government, not the people. Right. The North, Korea, the North Korean people, as I've said on the show in our North Korea episodes, mm-hmm. are awesome. Like, you watch the documentaries on Netflix about the North Korean people. They seem just so sweet and nice and, like, yeah, they're government trash, absolute trash. So she's basically uh, not much is known about her, and she was born in 87, studied in Switzerland like King Jong-un, who was the third son of uh, Kim. Uh, I've already forgotten his name. Who's little Kim before him? Kim Jong Il or Kim Jong Sung? Kim Jong Il, and then Sung was the grandfather who yeah, founded Sun, North Korea. Il and Fun. I mean, uh, yeah. <laughs> and uh, Kim Kim Yo Jong is believed to be the youngest of seven siblings that their father Kim Jong the Second had with four women. Kim Jong Un and Kim Jong Kim Yo Jong have their same mother, Ko Jong Ko Young Hui. Kim Yo-jong was always close to their father, and after returning from Switzerland, she was appointed to positions of responsibility in the government, according to Michael Madden, who runs the blog North Korea Leadership Watch. Kim Yo-jong's power exists because of proximity to the leader himself. 
She's the person he trusts more than anyone else in the regime, Ken Gauss says, North Korean leadership expert. She's been known to act as an advanced team leader inspecting sites before official visits and taking administrative duties. Uh, (laughs) Duties. Um, She's one of the very few people that he can trust. And uh, what article am I reading from? Oh, let's see. Uh, This is from hmm, CNN. And the title is... Kim Jong-un's sister is stealing the show at the Winter Olympics. If diplomatic dance were an event at the Winter Olympics, Kim Jong-un's sister would be favored to win gold. With a smile, a handshake, and a warm message in South Korea's presidential guest book, Kim Yo-jong has struck a chord with the public just one day into Pyeongchang's games. She writes, I hope Pyongyang and Seoul get closer in our people's hearts and move forward to the future of prosperous unification. She said in her guestbook message referring to the capitals of North and South Korea, she's seen as her as her brother's answer to the first daughter, Ivanka Trump. Kim, 30, is not only a powerful member of Un's kitchen cabinet, but also a foil to the perception of uh, North Korea as antiquated and militaristic. Uh, it wasn't until this week that she that the world learned Kim Yo-jong would join her nation's Olympic delegation. Just a few days later, she's the face of North Korea at Pyeongchang. The first member of the North's ruling dynasty to visit the South since the Korean War ended in an armistice in 53. She made headlines across the globe when she delivered an invitation to the South Korean president, May Jae, President Moon Jae-in, to visit North Korea. It happened during a historic meeting. Now, she went to a hockey game and all that stuff. She's cute, okay? But I find this to be incredibly sexist because she's cute. Yeah. And that's what they like to focus on? This supposes that she is incapable of being a genocidal maniac. Right. Which is what she is. Right. She's a monster of a human being. Mm-hmm. Uh, gosh, and what... She's, yeah, and... I think some reports have set it up. She's there to, you know, collect intelligence. She's there to spy on people. Right. She's there to also to make sure that everyone knows that their dear leader is watching. Right. And if they try anything, you know, that, you know, she's got an instant line back. It didn't stop there. The New York Times tweeted, without a word, only flashing smiles. Kim Jong-un's sister outflanked Vice President Pence in diplomacy. And the Washington Post headline heralded the following message. The Ivanka Trump of North Korea captivates people in South in the South at the Olympics. This is just like Im- so embarrassing. Uh, uh, and let me let me let me finish my joke about it being sexist. Like, if this were a man, there wouldn't even be anywhere near any of these headlines. It would be you know Kim Jong. Like the fact that she's pretty mm-hmm. and attractive and young, and she's not even stylish. Like she looked like every North Korean with black dress black dress conservative hair everything but she is a pretty woman uh it it it's like they the press completely lost sight of the fact that this woman is involved in every decision in North Korea and that includes enslaving like 10% in gulags and then the other 90% let's say 95% of the rest of the population in absolute abject poverty where they're starving to death and eating the barks off of pine trees to the point that the trees die. Mm-hmm. Every blade of grass in North Korea during famine, which some suspect they're in, gets eaten. She's involved in all that, but she's in that top 5% of people who are close to the 
Kim family that live like kings. Right. 1980 kings, but still kings. <laughs> right. 1970, let's be fair. No, no, some of them are in the 80s. Okay, all right. Very good. I, I just find it disgusting. I mean, you sent you sent this to us, and you said, eh, this is really... Yeah, have you see- yeah just basically, have you seen this crap? <laughs> yeah. Which you normally it- don't send to some, something ahead of time, but you're like, are you kidding me? <laughs> yeah, it was just... Well, because just like watching them just fan over there, because... I rem- it was almost brings me back when um, Kim Jong Un was taking over. Like, well, this is this is going to be the uh, the the elder. This, this is going to be the son that's going to change everything in North Korea. Right. He studied abroad. He's going to he's going to bring you know North Korea around. Yeah. 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 How was that? How has that been? No, I think Kim, th- so. The message that she left in that book about unification, y- the spirit of unification is very strong in North Korea. Mm-hmm. Because they want to be one country. Right. And both sides, you know, the South Korean government even has a minister of reunification. And so the idea that they are one people, because Koreans are very proud of their race, their heritage, their their countries, their country, their shared history. And it's very important to them that they eventually reunify. When she says we hope for reunification, that's not a message of peace. That's her saying, we want reunification and we want to be in charge. Mm-hmm. Like, there isn't a world where the Kim family reunifies into some sort of federated republic and the Kims run the North state and the South runs the South state because capitalism and communism can't coexist in a federated republic. And the Kims cannot allow any kind of movement between the North and South because the South knows that everybody would file down into the South. Yeah, quickly. <laughs> quickly. And everybody would leave or go to China. Like, the Kims know that they're war criminals, and they're never going to let go of their power. So when she says, we want reunification, it, it is that they are in charge of the South, and mm-hmm. co- South the South is communistic. Look at South Korea and its wealth versus North Korea. Mm-hmm. If you enjoy a Samsung phone... I have a Samsung television that I love. Oh, you have a Samsung, Samsung phone that you love. I've got Samsung screens, Samsung cameras. Um, right. What North Korean Samsung. phone do you buy? What North Korean car do you drive? <laughs> what North Korean, you know, like, have we heard, uh, what was, have we heard uh, Gangnam Style from the North? No, we no. have not. No, no. no. But the, the but the Hyundais didn't get good until they started getting people from the Pontiac edition. Well, anyways, that's, you know, get the car car. Yeah. Um, yeah, and it's you can tell that like even the way they walk around when they walk around South Korea, it's more of a they want unification and they want their resources. They want all that, but yeah. it's but you can tell like they're not um, they're not getting the fact that like this is coming not from their type of system or from anything else. This comes from like a, a capitalist system. Now, has capitalism and communism can become bedfellows? Yeah, look at China, but it's but it's, those right. are very specialized techniques that was like, and it's still like on kind of a rocky ground. You right, know, it's just more, and, it, and it's more of their government understanding it needs to survive in order to, um, well, the capitalism size it can only happen in certain zones, right, which they're okay with, and not the rest of the country. You're also talking about a hundred billion, a billion people versus yeah, seventy five million, and the most of the people who in China would have went up for war crimes are either dead or got put up in, for trial for different things, right? Versus North Korea, no, those people who are uh, a lot of people who did war crimes are dead, but the ones that are alive are still doing these war crimes. So most, you know, 
you know, you know, most you know Western countries will not trade with it yeah. because of like, no, we can't trade with you. Why? Because you starve and kill your people. Yeah. You feed, you fed your brother to dogs, like live dogs. He was alive. You fed him to dogs. So I, I'm sorry. <laughs> well, I don't want to buy your car. No, the, the he he killed his uncle. And so what happened when Kim Jong Un came to power after his father died is he he was young, and so he allowed his father's uh, folks to take over, but they were still loyal to. His people and his brother was – some say he was plotting to overthrow the younger Kim, and so he ended up having him killed. He was actually killed by anti-aircraft guns, mm-hmm. which is not much better than being ripped apart by dogs. But it was a very public trial, and it was a very embarrassing moment for Kim uh, in the world stage because it's it's – you're killing dissidents. You're killing potential threats, members of your own family, and – uh, he he has slowly killed off all of the Kim Jong Il's uh, era mm-hmm. guys and and in, instituted his own people and he rules by fear he rules like any despot. If you yeah. read 1984, so I was studying uh, North Korea a lot last year, and in reading, you know. Barbara Emmerich's book, I think, is the best. If you're looking for one book to read, not only is it great about North Korea, it's just a great book. And it's called Nothing to Envy. It's a fantastic book on North Korea to get an an idea of what's going on. But long story short, uh, he's he's a monster. She's a monster. The, the, The country was divided after the Korean War. So when you had the... After after uh, Japan basically had taken over for 30 years the Korean Peninsula, and then after they lost in World War II, the Americans and the Russians, the Soviets, carved up the nation, and Dean Rusk, who eventually became uh, Secretary of State or Secretary of Defense, I think he was Secretary of Defense, uh, he was the guy who helped lead us into Vietnam. So here's a genius for you. And he draws it at the 30th parallel so we could keep Pyongyang, and they got basically bupkis above the 38th parallel. Mm-hmm. Well, the Soviets start moving down, and, and eventually Kim Il-sung, who was the puppet installed by Stalin, starts taking over the entire peninsula to the point that they eventually control the entire thing. And Stalin, after years of being annoyed, finally said, go ahead and do it. It happened in the 50s, and then Eisenhower sent in troops, sent in MacArthur. They came, beat them back to the 38th parallel, and that's why America has kept troops there. Um, Then in the 90s, you started to see the economy spiral. In the early 90s, after the USSR stopped, China and the Soviet Union Mm -hmm. stopped sending cash and support to North Korea. And so their economy spiraled, and the 90s were a horrific famine that killed millions of people there. And it's only a country of 20 million people. And so they adopted a new style, a new tactic, basically military first, under Kim you know, Kim Il-sung died in 94. And this is really when it started under the sun, Kim, Il, Kim, Il, uh, Kim Il. Yeah, Kim Il-jun. And, yeah, thank you. And it basically is, we're going to support this country by being very militaristic and what they do is they hold the world hot world hostage they're a danger in that they've committed a couple terrorist acts against the south koreans one right before the 88 olympics uh they have they ship a lot of materials to iran they're trade partners with a lot of these terrorist countries like iran that support hezbollah hamas 
and they ship their raw goods to those countries. And obviously, China is their major, like eighty to ninety percent of their trade is with China. And so they, the military first is basically they threaten the world in exchange for goods and services and cash. And Madeleine Albright went actually in the 90s over and visited North Korea and left with this promise that they'd stop their denuclearization. We sent them a ton of money, and they kept doing it because the Kims know that if they have nuclear weapons, then no one will invade them. It's their insurance policy. And their theory is if we have this, you can't invade us because you don't want mutually assured destruction. (coughs) Because Israel. Right, and exactly, and so that's why that's the model that they worked off of. Mm-hmm. So that's why they have about ten nuclear weapons. And if we went to war with North Korea, it would be um, it would be horrific for Japan and South Korea. It would be millions, possibly on both on both sides, dead. I mean, yeah. it would just be absolutely devastating because. Uh, people want to say that Kim Jong-un is a nut. He's not a nut. He's actually a very rational person, you know, speaks English very well. He knows the word dotard. In a lot of ways, I find Kim Jong-un to be a more rational actor than Donald Trump. Uh, And he's not this crazy, maniacal person. He has a reason for everything that he does, and he showed that in sending his sister to to the Olympics. You know, he knew he couldn't go because he'd be captured. Oh yeah, immediately. Right, but so he or sent, someone would like take power in North Korea. Exactly, and so he sent his sister, his number two, who he knows is glamorous. He knows knows Ivanka Trump is going to the closing ceremonies, and he by showing this effort to reunify and making these overtures to South Korea because of the '88 Olympics. Uh, the the Daily had a great episode on this a, a week or two ago, right before the Olympics, where they basically outlined what happened in the bombings before the '88 Olympics and how, you know, Kim Il Sung basically tortured the Seoul South Korea, like the Seoul Olympics, and but then they kind of reunified and they're like this reunification thing has happened three other Olympics, so it's not like this is the first time that you know they've marched in together. It's happened three other times. But it's coming at a time when, A, it's in South Korea, and B, tensions are very high because the uh, the Trump administration is saying, we're not going to negotiate with you. We're not going to send you pallets of cash. We're going to bomb you. Mm-hmm. And they have massively raised the stakes with this country, and and the tension is very high. Right. And so Kim Jong-un says, you know what I'm going to do? I have... A new president in the Americas. He's only been there a year. Mm-hmm. I've been in. Uh, I have a new uh, prime minister in South Korea who is more favorable to negotiating with me. I've been doing this for six years. I understand how the press will take all of this stuff around the world. I should cooperate at the at the Olympics in South Korea. Send my sister. Mm-hmm. Everybody fawns over her and says, you know. Uh, oh, she's so great. Mm-hmm. So awesome. So pretty. <laughs> and, and so what What he has really done in this charm offensive is position himself as the more rational party, the more peacemaking party. South Korea looks good because they're peacemaking. And then there's this evil, angry Donald Trump mm-hmm. who is trying to bomb us. And to some extent, he's totally right in that this is a more aggressive administration towards him, the most definitely more than Obama. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
you know, the Bush administration want to invade North Korea. They were in the axes of evil speech. Right. Um, so it, it is it is a good, smart political move on Kim Jong-un's part, but to position America, the American government, as the bloodthirsty, war-hungry, it, it's just not – it's not – honest like they're the ones launching the ibms they're the ones constantly raising the threats mm-hmm. you know he he will continue to do these bombing tests after the olympics in april every april america and south korea have these exercises mm-hmm. close to the shores of north korea and that triggers the north koreans and it's it's a hostile act yeah you know it's like when putin did military exercises in 2013 on the border of Poland. <laughs> you know, like he's he, seventy million troops on the border of Poland. He was sending a message to the to the uh, Western Europeans. So it it is a message that we send every April, and I'll be interested. I'm sure we'll do it again because we've done it every year since the the North Korean War. But that that is why he sent his sister. That's why he went to the Olympics. That's the background because he wants to position himself as the more favorable. And sadly, the American press gave them exactly what they needed. Just f- ate it up, you know. Like, uh, yeah. you know, they they continually lock up Christians. Like, if you uh, any religion, but Christians especially, they <laughs> they torment. Um, they create an atmosphere of uh, atmosphere of fear. They carry out executions in the public square, uh, in ordinary areas outside the prison system. Uh, people ha- see public educations near riverbanks and riverbeds, near bridges and public sports stadiums and the local marketplace and school grounds. Um, crimes such as stealing rice can lead to a death sentence. Mm-hmm. Uh, they encourage children to turn their parents in. One little girl named Yun was told by her third grade teacher that she had a special assignment, go home and find a specific book. And it was if it was the proper book, she was told she would be rewarded. She discovered the Bible and promptly told her teacher... Uh, the president of World Hope says the next day she received a prize, but when Ewan returned home, her parents weren't there. Uh, they basically killed her parents for for being Christians. Uh, North North uh, Korean defector He Yoon Lim, 26, told the Mirror that her father was a senior government official under Un and shared some of the unimaginable details of what goes on inside the country: executions, sex slavery. Um, she was forced to visit a stadium where 11 musicians were killed after accused of making a porn video. Um, they were lashed. L- they were lashed to the end of anti-aircraft guns. A gun was fired. The noise was deafening, absolutely terrifying. The guns were fired one after the other. The musicians just disappeared each time the guns were fired into them. Their bodies were blown to bits, totally destroyed. Blood and bits flying everywhere. And then after that, military tanks moved in and they ran over the bits to the ground where they re- remained. You know, Otto Warmbier, who goes over there, is uh, accused of stealing a poster and basically is beaten into a vegetable, comes home. He is sent home right before he dies because they know that it's an act of war if an American citizen dies on their shores. Mm-hmm. Um, so. Yeah, because, like, the only military move the United States got for, you know, for going against, like, North Korea because of the, the nuclear deterrent is, like, well, full armament they have to basically like bomb everything quickly quickly predator drone in the sky right and that's a scary act because and since they you know everything's hitting around people and all kinds of things millions of die yeah and it's and it's a scary thought yeah i'm definitely anti-war against the koreans but i'm not pro kim jong-un or his sister right and it's sad to see cnn acting that yeah uh because these are basically um 
they're basically slave owners. Yeah. You know, that's basically, and that's what they're fighting over. They're fighting, you know, it'd be the same way if, you know, we had the Olympics and the Confederacy was, you know, was sitting there over there like, yeah, we let our slaves, you look at that, unify this, unify mm-hmm. with our slaves. Look at that. Look at that. Exactly. Right. And we're going to bring them back and whoop him. Right. Get them back and work, work in their fields. Exactly. You know, it's the same crap. Uh, all right. So this was Harry's choice for a story. Julian Assange, judge to rule on arrest warrant. Uh, so after six years of being in an Ecuadorian ed- embassy, uh, he went into the embassy in London. In equ- the Ecuadorian, uh, uh, he's in London mm-hmm, mm-hmm. inside the Ecuadorian embassy, which he snuck into. S- when he snuck in in a motor as a motorcycle courier, mm-hmm. uh, he was wanted by Swedish authorities in connection to a sec- with sexual assault allegations. But he feared arrest, any arrest would lead to U.S. extradition and prosecuted for the activities of his brainchild, WikiLeaks. WikiLeaks had published classified U, U, uh, U.S. military logs supplied by Chelsea Manning, who was charged under the Espionage Act. Uh, so, though Stockholm has since abandoned the crimes against Assange, a British arrest warrant remains in place due to his failure to answer bail, bail in 2012. In court, Assange's legal team relied on a technical point, claiming the warrant has lost its purpose and function if the underlying criminal proceedings against their clients have a client has ceased. They said it no longer makes sense for them to monitor the embassy uh, when he's no longer wanted by Sweden. It costs them 3.8 million pounds a year to monitor Assange inside of this embassy. Uh, their hopes were dashed last week when senior district judge Emma Arbutnot. Arbonaut <laughs> said he was not convinced by their argument. Um, so <laughs> they they basically go on. Uh, he, they go on to talk about, you know, the U.N. He should still be released. Yeah. He has reasonable grounds for the course he took. The U.N. ruled he's been arbitrarily detained. He offered his cooperation to the Swedish investigators at all times, and his years of embassy exile could be considered a punishment. What enticed the judge most was emails obtained under a FOIA act revealing the UK Crown Prosecution Service advised, quote-unquote, <laughs> they're my quotes, not theirs, the Swedes against interviewing Assange in London in 2010 or 11, a dialogue that could have prevented the long-running political impasse. Furthermore, the CPS, which admitted dis- destroying key emails relating to the case, told Sweden not to drop its extradition request when the country moved to do so in 2013, a time when the police had revealed that it cost 3.8. Um, obviously, these emails are of interest to the court. So, um, you know, and it's not like he isn't wanted here. Former FBI Director Comey said to Congress last year the only reason that Assange had not been apprehended was because he was in the embassy. Jeff Sessions called his arrest a priority, and CIA Director Mike Pompeo said Assange had no First Amendment rights, and the CIA was working to take down WikiLeaks. Should the judge rule in Assange's favor on Tuesday, it remains unlikely that he will never leave the embassy immediately. That he will leave it remains unlikely he will leave the embassy immediately. But a court victory might force British authorities to disclose any outstanding U.S. extradition warrants. So it just—they're just keeping him there, even though the Swedish uh, charges have been dropped against him. Yeah, they've been dropped for a while, and the Swedish government was trying to drop him off and trying to interview him for a while. But the UK government kept saying no because it's the UK government needed the Swedes apprehended so they could extradite him for the United States, and because the and the UK kind of wants him to because of like the you know they want to put a message to all like you know these 
you know, leaking information in that type of that type of fashion. The articles and also the showcasing of how like the United States really want um, Assange in for the grounds are like the whole like the idea that Assange or anyone or any human being walking around the earth does not have freedom of speech is bullcrap. The it's like it, it just goes to show you that the more evidence to, to show that more people who are. In, you know, in the halls of government, who works in the government, have has have no idea or read the Constitution, understand like you know, you're not you don't have the freedom of speech just because you're an American. You have a freedom of speech just for being alive. Yep, and it's crap. Inherently, it's it's a natural right, which yeah, means natural, everybody's got it. Yeah, everybody's got it. You know, the Constitution works for everybody. It works for nobody. All right, so we're going to do a bunch of short stories, a bunch of stories. I got a whole stack of stuff. Duddle up, duddle up here uh, to do. Uh, so on to the next one. You know, every single day there is another bombshell <laughs> or something comes out about the intelligence communities. And we told you about James Risen a week or two ago, this great reporter who heroically fought the government uh, when he wanted to release the information. All the stuff that Snowden put out, Risen tried to put out, but the New York Times would not let him publish everything that Edward Snowden eventually revealed Ten years before Snowden revealed it. So James Risen was completely stopped by the intelligence services. So if you don't think that Edward Snowden did the right thing, here's a reporter in James Risen who basically ten years prior had been trying to tell us everything, but they basically worked the uh, editor of the New York Times and showed him how it was in national interest not to reveal everything. So, uh, yes, Stone, we are starting to sound like Alex Jones or is... Alex Jones starting to sound like the truth. <laughs> I don't know anymore, man. Uh, because, you know, and we're going to get in our next article uh, a National Review piece. How are we sounding like Alex Jones? We're bringing facts. Bringing facts from mainstream fact. news outlets like The Intercept and yeah. The Washington Post. Yeah. Uh, we're just covering the stuff that mainstream media doesn't want to cover because they're too busy sucking the dick of Kim Jong-un's sister. Yeah. You know, and we'll talk in this next article, this great article by Andrew McCarthy in The National Review, where he basically says, I was fooled, I was wrong. Uh, so, more cocoa butter. Getting dry. So dry Are you getting dry? Dry in here. I've, the humidifier zone? Uh, I've had the humidifier running. Right now I'm soaking it, so I'm, I'm, I'm uh, oh, taking the bacteria out of it. So, oh, okay, thank you. I you appreciate know. that. Yeah. My, my air quality. <laughs> so uh, I'm, gonna, I'm, gonna, I'm currently soaking it in bleach, then I'll rinse it out with some ammonia. It'll be great. So the... That's a joke. Please do not message me and say you've created a chlorine bomb. I know this because when I put bleach in my toilet bowl to soak it clean and then I peed in it the next morning, I almost died last week. No, which <laughs> ruined your Thai pod snack. <laughs> so, uh, hilarious article recently. There's this guy who was trying to test his homemade gas mask. So oh, yeah. He created so a chlorine bomb, but, like, you know, like a chlorine gas has, like, 200 parts of chlorine, and he had 40,000 and his skin peeled off. Ugh. Well, like, the, okay, when it comes to, like, those chemical things that people don't understand is they don't really look understand, like, the whole aspect around everything, that, you know, your skin has is made is a cell, so it is made out of water. Right. <laughs> so, like, that's, you know, so it's going to attack that as well. It's got water and oxygen. So, your chlorine's gas is going to attack that. The same thing with the Tide Pod. Like, when people are going to say, it's just soap. How bad could it do? It's like, listen, the way that the 
laundry detergent works and it goes after fat and clings to water. What the heck do you think the inside of your your mouth is made out of? Shout out to Stone Aldridge who says uh, he he's done it on accident because he's a janitor. Having worked as a janitor for 10 years previously to my current career, I have done the same thing. We've all been janitors. If you're a janitor, you've almost killed yourself uh, by accident. Not doing that. Yeah. Not doing that. No. No. All right. So. I almost killed myself in trying to. Anyways, let's just go. James Risen wrote this great article in The Intercept this week. Uh, the Intercept podcast, Intercepted, did an interview with him in their last episode. Uh, the, this is titled, U.S. Secretly Negotiated with Russians to Buy Stolen NSA Documents, and the Russians Offered Trump-Related Material too. So you may remember in 2016 when it came out that the NSA had material stolen uh, by a group called the Shadow Brokers. And it, mm-hmm. it was it – was, we talked about it on the program at the time. Yep. And we said, listen, they're collecting all of our information, and yet they can't keep their own secrets Correct. secure. Still releasing stuff about it. Right. right. So the United States intelligence community has been conducting a top-secret operation to recover stolen classified U.S. government documents from Russian operatives, according to sources familiar with the matter. The operation has also inadvertently yielded a cache of documents purporting to relate to Donald Trump and Russian meddling in the 2016 election. Over the past year, the American intelligence uh, officials have opened a secret communications channel with the Russian operatives – who have been seeking to sell both Trump-related materials and the documents stolen by the NSA and obtained by Russian intelligence, according to people involved with the matter. The channel started developing in early 2017 when an an American and a Russian intermediary began meeting in Germany. Eventually, a Russian intermediary, apparently representing some elements of the Russian intelligence community, agreed to deal to sell stolen NSA documents back to the U.S. while also seeking to include the Trump material. Um, so what we're seeing a lot of right now is the inner workings of how politics and the intelligence community and the DOJ and how all of this works. And I think that's why we're getting so disgusted, because I think we all had of, of the intelligence agencies and the DOJ and, you know, we had these naive notions that they're without bias, they're without political opinions, they're without personal bias, they're, they're out seeking truth. Or they work like most businesses, and like there's dumb overchecks. So it's like, just sort of, no matter what, if someone did have a bias, it doesn't matter. The moment they hand it off to someone else, someone else is going to notice it and can comment on it. Right. That's not happening. So the group uh, Shadow Brokers stole highly secret NSA hacking tools and began releasing them onto the internet in the summer of 2016. That's uh, that, get on the WikiLeaks and look at some of that stuff because, like, just hearing, just if you've never. You didn't listen to those episodes or have no idea what they're talking about. Like, these are some serious tools that got let go. Right. And even if, like, some people, like some hackers, like, well, you know, they didn't release the tools themselves, the methodology, the thought process from a lot of that got a lot of people, different people thinking, and has built some crazy things since then. Especially like what? The, um, <laughs> like some of the like the LED um, extraction tools are like the the way to get um, information off of um, like a laptop or through a network without going pa- passing logs and different stuff like that. Right. Um, the because uh, someone built the, the device to be able to sense of what the hard drive is doing based off the LEDs off the front of it, so it could tell it to blink, so you can get the get it off there without touching anything. Touching yeah, the, the NSA, the NSA, they, we should say, is is the agency designed to protect us from, basically, our, our national cybersecurity organization, 
and they got hacked. Then there was the back doors and a lot of the Cisco ASA firewalls that they had. There was the, which is the Cisco was is is the firewall of you know of choice. This is what you know. If someone wants to go out and spend big bucks on like a nice firewall and security, they're buying. Usually, going to go buy a Cisco product. Yeah, the NSA works with international companies to protect their own servers, mm-hmm. and you know, so that's part of what the NSA does. We know the NSA best here on this program for spying on Americans, and and that's what we talk a lot about. But the 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 true function of the NSA is supposed to protect our our internet infrastructure. Uh, so now. it it killed the morale having all the uh, at the NSA having all of the offensive cyber weapons out in the open. It was if it was as if a bioweapons lab had lost some of its most deadly and dangerous viruses. And U.S. officials wanted to identify which documents were the shadow brokers had stolen, so they could determine how badly the agency had been damaged by the theft. Uh, once they opened the channel, the Russians on the other side offered to sell the documents related to Trump along with the documents. So these guys are stealing data to to make a buck off of the, the government. Obviously, being a digital thing, they're not going to it, – it's not like a paper document. It's not like uh, you, you have photos of me in a compromising position in a, in a vault somewhere and they're not online anywhere and I'm buying the negatives. Like it's not like that. Obviously, they know what – they know whatever has been stolen will be seen by Russian intelligence. Right. It's they want to know what was actually stolen. Mm-hmm. So they're buying the materials so they actually know how bad what, – what tools did you actually know about? Mm-hmm. What tools did you get? Mm-hmm. So that's, that's kind of what they're trying to figure out. Yeah. Because, you know, it's out there. Right. It's out there. Everyone's got it. We'll have access to it anyways. Right. So it is unclear whether or not the secret channel has helped recover the data from the shadow brokers. Uh, the data that they think they got on Trump in, includes some FBI reports and banking records. Uh, the, the, one of the more fascinating parts of this article uh, that he revealed um, was the fact that the CIA is basically unwilling to touch any of the Trump material. Uh, the existence of off the, bo- the off-the-books communication channel has been controversial amongst the CIA and the NSA. The CIA, now headed by a Trump loyalist and Mike Pompeo, has at times been reluctant to stay involved in the operation, apparently for fear of obtaining the Trump-related material offered by the Russians. Uh, the CIA, CIA officials are said to have repeatedly changed their views about it. They have sometimes expressed interest and only later to back away with the involvement of the channel and the intermediaries. Uh, at some points, the CIA has been serious enough about buying materials through the channel that agency officials said they transported cash to the Berlin station to complete the transaction, but at other points, agency officials backed off and shut it down. Um, some people involved with the channel believe the CIA has grown so heavily politicized under Pompeo that officials there have become fearful of taking possession of any materials that might be considered damaging to Trump. The CIA's wariness shows that the reality within the U.S. intelligence community, this is his words, is a far cry from the right-wing conspiracy theory of a deep state working against Trump. Instead, the agency's behavior seems to indicate that the U.S. intelligence officials are torn about whether to conduct any operations at all to aid Mueller. Many intelligence officials are reluctant to get involved. Uh, For example, Dan Coats, the director of national intelligence and thus the man supposedly in charge of the entire U.S. intelligence community, has said he does not see it as his role to push for an aggressive Trump-Russia investigation 
according to a source familiar with the matter. Uh, so they are actively <laughs> – the CIA is like, oh, I'm not getting involved in all this Trump-Russia stuff, which mm-hmm. – man, uh, if you are the director of the CIA mm-hmm. and you are a Trump fan – and you hear that there is information that is damaging to the president of the United States, do you want to see it? Um, as director of CIA, I'd probably see it and tell people I didn't see it. <laughs> I think that's illegal. Uh, just, yeah, go, yeah, there's a CIA. I, they do I th- that all the time. I think that... Um, <laughs> Let, let's say that the the extremes of the Russian investigation, the Mueller investigation, are true. That Trump has been groomed. The, the Steele dossier was right. That uh, which laugh track applied here. But let's say the Steele dossier is right, mm-hmm. and that Trump has been groomed by Putin for almost a decade to be president of the United States, <laughs> and that he is feeding sensitive United States intelligence right to the Kremlin as president of the United States. Uh, I think I want to know about that, even if I'm uh, best buddies. I want to know about that. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I, I would want to know about that, even though that, that whole thing, that, that makes no sense at all. Now, add on to the responsibility of being the head of the fucking CIA. <laughs> I always tell like, hey, I've, I'm going to figure out how they did it so we could copy. Um, right. Or like, or, or do they steal our stuff? Or if that's how you can get control of the presidency, see you in ten years. Right. Come see our new candidate. So what? <laughs> but, was, but, what's apparently in this stuff is FBI investigative reports, financial records, and other materials related to Trump. And I bet you, the where I kind of after reading all this stuff for the last year or so, what I think it comes down to is that Russian money was basically given to Trump. He laundered money for Russian oligarchs. Mm-hmm. In, in the form of New York real estate, and that's his ties to Russia. And that's what, if you really did a full, that's why he won't release his tax records, because he knows he'll get picked apart on that, and people will see signs of embezzlement in it. Honestly, that sounds more believable than anything else that I've seen about uh, Trump, Russia. Right. That has to be the most believable thing I've ever seen, because, that, wow, that makes perfect sense. That, that there makes sense. Right. Well, that's why you come to We Are Libertarians. Yeah. Anything else that makes you no know, no right. big of sense because like come on come on if they're smart enough to do all this they left the trail so here or you think they would just leave him walking around with his Twitter handle right you know they would have took they would have took if Putin thought uh, if Putin was actually controlled Trump you would think that they would have the ability to zap his Twitter so because. He's obviously can't he can't keep a secret about anything really. Exactly. <laughs> He'd be like, Dang, yes, I leaked it. I'm gonna leak him again in four years." <laughs> you know? So the other part of this that was interesting is the way that the shadow brokers trying to get paid knew that the CIA was behind this secret channel. They would say, "Here's the tweet that we're going to send out at this day and time, and watch." And at several points, they tweeted out, like for instance. Samuel Morse patted in the Telegraph 177 years ago. Did you know that this they you can still send ta- telegrams faster than post and pay, only if it's delivered? Uh, this was on June 20th, 2017 at 12.30 p.m. That tweet, in exactly those words, was issued at that time. The NSA used that messaging technique repeatedly over the following months. Each time officials wanted to communicate with the Russians or reassure them that the U.S. was still supporting the deal. So if you're reading the NSA Twitter, you're reading basically secret communications to spies around the world, the, the blacklist Ooh. crowd. I thought that was interesting. Yeah. 
Hey, hide it in plain sight. Okay, on to more government corruption. <laughs> That's basically what this show is about. <laughs> Just here's all the ways the government sucks this week. Yep. Um, so this is a great article uh, by Andrew McCarthy. Now, Andrew McCarthy at National Review is a former federal prosecutor, and he's been all over all the, the NSA stuff, the NSA scandal. And uh, so he, he writes this article two days ago, three days ago, Grassley-Graham memo affirms Nunez memo. Uh, he writes, rest assured if a Republican administration had used verifiable hearsay from a patently suspect agent of the Republican presidential candidate to go to gull the FISA court into granting a warrant to spy on an associated, associate of the Democratic nominees, it would be covered as the greatest political scandal in history. Uh, and basically saying the Nun- the Nunez memo was not done that. Uh, but he says the Grassley-Graham memo, which was released in January, and we didn't really talk a lot about it. It wasn't really covered at all. Nobody – it basically said, you know, Christopher Steele needs to be locked up. <laughs> and uh, it didn't get any of the coverage near, like, the Nunez memo. But basically the Nunez memo and the Grassley memo paired together, once you go back and read it, which is what he did, you go, whoa, okay. Uh, this, we not, he writes, we not only need a full-blown investigation of what possessed the Obama administration to submit such shoddy applications to the FISA court, but of how a judge, or perhaps as many as four, rationalized signing the warrants. Mm-hmm. So basically the Nunez memo asserted that the FBI and Justice Department had significantly relied on the Steele dossier to obtain the warrants on page, you'll remember, as we talked about. Uh, you remember Andrew McCabe, the deputy director of the FBI, said that the Steele dossier was essential to this probable cause showing. Uh, so here's the Grassley-Graham memo on the the critical first FISA application, the basis for the warrant granted October 21st, 2016. The bulk of the Steele application consists of the allegations against Page that were dis- disclosed to the FBI by Mr. Steele and are also outlined in the Steele dossier. The application appears to contain no additional information corroborating the dossier allegations against Mr. Page, although it does cite to a news article that appears to be sourced to Mr. Steele's dossier. Uh, So we'll get to that article, but um, the Nunez memo writes, when asked uh, at the March 2017 briefing of the Judiciary Committee leaders why the FBI relied on the dossier and the FISA applications... Then-Director Comey stated the FBI included the dossier allegations about Carter Page because the FISA applications, uh, because Mr. Steele himself was considered reliable due to his past work with the Bureau. Hmm. Now, that seems like a reasonable answer, right, Harry? Like, Christopher Steele has been, like, MI6 is the British CIA, it's James Bond, it's, you know, Christopher Steele was no slouch, and Mm -hmm. he had a good reputation with the FBI. Why wouldn't we listen to him and trust him? Yeah. Well, the former federal prosecutor, Andrew McCarthy, writes why. I cannot stress enough how irregular this is. It is why there is an abundant reason to demand that the judge explain his or her rationale for granting the warrant. As I outlined in great lengths last week, the... The, in applying for a warrant, the government must establish the reliability of the informants who witness the al- alleged facts claimed to support the probable cause finding. So Steele was not one of the witnesses. Mm-hmm. He was basically writing down what he heard third hand, mm. and that's what they submitted in this dossier to the FISA court. 
So British tampering with their election? Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> right. So the anonymous Russians in the dossier, much of whom their their information was based on heresy, sometimes multiple steps removed from direct knowledge themselves. Um, Steele had not been in Russia since his cover as a British spy was, spy was blown 20 years ago. Uh, he has sources who have sources who have sources and so on. So basically this is the National Enquirer of dossiers. Um for purposes of justifying a warrant, it does not matter that in a totally unrelated investigation involving corporate corruption at FIFA, the FBI judged that the hearsay information provided by Steele, then a British, British agent, checked out. In his anti-Trump research, Steele could not verify his sources. Furthermore, he was now a former foreign intelligence officer who was then working for private clients, which is in the advocacy business, not the search for truth business. How often do you leave a job and you're not connected to what's going on in that former job? Harry, you have a former job. You've been mm-hmm. out of it for six months. I mean, how much of the day-to-day do you know what's going on in, in your former job? I have not much. I've yeah. got some you know, fingers in there to tell me some things, but no, not much. Not much. Not much. Right. Not much. Same with Steele. Yeah. Let that sink in, he writes. Then think about this contract. Contrast. No actual FBI agent, no matter how renowned, would be able to get a judicial warrant based solely on his own reliability as an investigator. Jim, Jim Comey, despite having a resume geometrically more impressive than Steele's, including confirmations to such of some of the federal law enforcement's loftiest positions, would not be given a warrant based on representations to the court that the FBI, the Justice Department, the President, and the Senate all attested to his impeccable reliability. So, in other words, Harry is James Comey. He's worked in the DOJ and the FBI for 25 years. Everyone respects him. He goes to the court and says, I heard this. Can I get a warrant? Can I get a warrant? No. (laughs) You have to actually witness the crime. For, for, or have some reliable information. The only reliability that counts is the reliability of the factual informants, not the investigator who purports the channel, who to channel the informants. Uh, it is obvious the less identifiable and reliable the informants are, the greater the government's obligation to be transparent in conveying the investigator's bias. So the Graham and Grassley memo goes on to say the FBI noted to vaguely limit extended they tried to limit the extent the political origins of the dossier. And footnote eight, the FBI stated that the dossier information was compiled pursuant to the direction of a law firm who had hired an identified U.S. person, now known as Glenn Simpson of Fusion GPS. The fact that the Fusion GPS, and we've covered this, was a Clinton campaign client was never disclosed in any of the warrant applications, which ran well beyond June of 2017 when the last 90-day extension was granted. So the Steele dossier in June of 2017 had been out on BuzzFeed's website for six months. Christopher Steele was a known entity. Fusion GPS was started to be talked about in the press. And it was not in the FISA application that allowed spying on Carter Page. And a judge never pushed back and said, hey, about this Christopher Steele, you think that a FISA judge involved in the Russian investigation hadn't read the news coverage about this documentation? 
that's the, it's the yeah, that's the scary part about it. So like, <laughs> would you, did they wake him up at three a.m. and go, yep, yep, stamp. Go back to bed. <laughs> right. Like yeah. when Stabler wakes up the judge in the middle of the night, I need this warrant right now. Yeah, I need this now. Which is not how the FISA court works, or really any court. Uh, the Clinton campaign sponsorship was not publicly disco- disclosed until October 2017, which is when everybody figured it out. So manifestly, there was, there was a material fact. If a prosecutor withheld an arguably exculpatory fact of this degree of significance – meaning that it was a political document paid for by Clinton against the Trump campaign, it could get a conviction reversed. As some have observed, a public company leaving out this type of fact in their their SEC filings could face stock fraud prosecution. So in late October 2016, shortly after the first warrant was issued – the FBI terminated its relationship with Steele because he lied to the Bureau about his contacts with the media. The Justice Department didn't report this to the FISA court. Instead, when the, it, it sought renewal of, of it and relying on the credibility of the guy they just booted for lying. Steele's agreement with the FBI was that he would not communicate with the press. He made that agreement and then communicated with the press anyways. He then leaked it to Michael Isikoff of Yahoo News on September 23rd of 2016, which reportedly which reported precisely the information that Steele had given to FBI about Page that he'd supposedly met in Moscow with two top Russian operatives and discussed lifting the sanctions against Russia. So if you're an FBI agent and you're reading this not Yahoo News, which I'm guessing you probably have a Google alert for uh, Russian Russiagate, Mm-hmm. And Michael Isikoff of Yahoo News writes an article pertaining to the case that you're covering. You don't think you're going to read that and go, there's only one place they could have gotten this information. <laughs> and it would be Christopher <laughs> Steele. So either Steele lied to the FBI about speaking to the press or the FBI consciously avoided learning that Steele had spoken to Isikoff and then speculated to the FISA court that Steele was probably not Isikoff's so- source. Or just they decided, or they did know, and just said, whatever, I don't care. Right. Go get this bastard. That's the other scary thought, too, because we can't read minds. We don't know what was going on. Either they didn't look yep. until the investigation. Either they didn't look or they let it go. Right. Let, yeah, that's that's good enough for me. So to recap, the Steele dossier, the dude has been fired from the FBI for lying. He's broken his agreement with the FBI to not leak to the press he leaks to the press anyways. Mm-hmm. He talks to Michael Isikoff. He gives all of this information to Mother, Mother Jones, which prints it. Uh, you know, BuzzFeed eventually gets a hold of it. Meanwhile, they know all of this. The FBI and the DOJ know. I, they have to know everything. That I'm not giving them the benefit on the doubt. Like I just have to believe that McCabe and Comey and uh, Rosenstein are sitting there reading Isikoff's article and knowing that it came. Bruce Orr. Mm-hmm. Whose wife helped put put the dossier together at the DOJ is not sitting here reading this, going, "I think that came from Steele," and yet they still went to the FISA court and used this information to get a warrantless wiretap on an American citizen. Yeah. So, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's either they don't research, and just long as if you're respectable and you bring up any sheets of paper printed with anything on it, can they use that to get you know FISA warrant on anybody? So here's this. Or any political person they don't like. So it gets better. 
I, see, I don't think it is. I don't. Th- I think no, no, it's gonna... no, no, no. It's going to get better here. Oh, okay. About steel here. Oh. So. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so this gets published. Steel gets sued in Britain. Uh, the the uh, he gets sued in Britain. Uh, let's see here. In fact, they kept telling the FISA court he was reliable, even after Steele himself admitted to a British court that his dossier wasn't at all reliable. Even though there was still no meaningful corroboration of Steele's sources after months of investigation, and let's be honest, the facts were out in the public, even though Steele had lied to them, the FBI and the Justice Department represented again and again in April and June of 2017 that the FISA court could confidently bank on Steele's reliability. By early 2017, Steele was being sued for libel in Britain, among other places, by people accused of misconduct in the dossier. Truth is a defense to libel. Suffice it to say, it was not Steele's defense, he writes. The dude admitted <laughs> under oath that his, his... You said it was getting better. His, his dossier was garbage, you- and they still took it to the FISA court two more times and said, trust us. Do you remember when you said it was getting better? (laughs) I remember that. Uh, Pepperidge Farm remembers. uh, So this is, I think, one of the more interesting things that I've read from a conservative in a long time. Because libertarians, we have been saying for years, do not build this security state. If you build the security state, yes, 1984 could happen. Mm Mm-hmm. It may be a while. Before we get there, you're going to see it used for political purposes. Don't do it. Don't do it. You need to listen to us. This is bad precedent. Hit no country in history has built something like this, and it doesn't get abused. It's fine. It's fine. Conservatives have been ranting and railing, saying we need to protect you. You need to give up your liberties so we can... Democrats have, for, for the Bush administration, to their credit, were on our side. Then Obama gets elected, and he becomes the spy-in-chief. Mm-hmm. Then they change their tune, and now both sides are saying, it's it's necessary. It's needed. We need it. We need it for the brown people. I mean, the terrorists. <laughs> the, they're not na- na- nazis, but that's why we need it. So, But Trump's literally Hitler, so he needs his warrantless <laughs> wiretap, and we also need to get rid of the guns. We're in the middle of NSA gate, and yeah. we need to reauthorize Section 702. All in favor? Aye. Uh, All those opposed? Bernie Sanders nice. and Ron Wyden and Ron, Rand Paul scream in the background. No. Hey, stop this! So he writes, he writes this. Beyond all that, we now learn through the senator's memo... And some follow-up reporting that two longtime Clinton cronies, Cody Shearer and Sidney Blumenthal, fed their own anti-Trump dossier to Steele through a State Department official, Jonathan Weiner. Weiner. In the fall of 2016, Steele, while working on his Clinton-funded project, reported this Clinton crony information to the FBI. That's right. The information in the Steele dossier was not from his Russian sources. It was from Sidney Blumenthal who is the fixer for Hillary Clinton, who got his information from a State Department employee, Jonathan Weiner, who was serving Secretary of State Hillary Clinton. Uh, Still. What about that deep state again? (laughs) The FBI and Justice Department elected not to tell the FISA court that the Clinton campaign was paying for Steele's unverified, unverifiable anti-Trump research. I spent many months assuring people that nothing like this could ever happen. 
that the FBI and Justice Department would not countenance the provision to the FISA court of uncorroborated allegations of heinous misconduct. When Trump enthusiasts, enthusiasts accused them of rigging the process, I countered that they would probably that they probably had not even used the Steele dossier. If the Justice Department had used it in the writing of the FISA warrant application, I insisted that the FBI would independently verify any important facts presented to the court, make any disclosures that ought in fairness be made so the judge could evaluate the credibility of the sources and compellingly demonstrate probable cause before alleging that an American was a foreign agent. I was wrong. So now the most pro-defense uh, Department of Justice conservative, Andrew McCarthy, is going, I was wrong. All that stuff I said about uh, the security state and nah, this is all good. I was wrong. We need this. We need this now. This is why you need two parties, three parties, four parties, because if you have one party, <laughs> then they go, eh, it's all fine. But if you have two parties, then you can have a Fox News mm-hmm. beating up on this every day or a, a Republican Party going, what was that about Obama again? Yeah. Or three and four and five, six, seven, eight, ten, thirty parties. No one gets control of anything. So, or, but it just, just right. shows you when a lot of different things happen when people get the ring of power and corruption. You know, it's just like watch Lord of the Rings again. Everyone who gets the ring of power wants to wield it because they believe they can use the ring to save man. Yep. So uh, Fox News reports today, did Carter Page contacts give Obama FBI window into the Trump team world? Carter Page says yes. He basically says that after the FBI began spying on him, he forwarded an email to uh, people in the Trump campaign on October 28, 2016, he addressed a letter to a European-based organization where he defended himself after his campaign departure. So he uh, forwarded that to people on the campaign. So that should have all been picked up within the legal hacking operation that began in Washington a week prior. Uh, curiously, he also uh, seemed to reference the opposition research that it would emerge months later, allegedly was used to obtain the surveillance warrant against, against him. I've learned from a reliable source, he writes in that document, that a law firm close to the Clinton campaign has hired a London-based private investigator to investigate my trip to Russia. Um, so it's funny that he, back way back in October of 2016, knew this is all bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, yeah, this is... And, and here's why that's a problem. They can go three hops now. So they generally, if they can, they can collect the data of three hops out. So <laughs> Harry... Hops. So Harry's under investigation. Okay. Harry sends me an email. Mm-hmm. I'm one hop. I send an email to a friend about Harry. That's two hops. He forwards that email to another person. That's three hops. So Carter Page sends Donald Trump Jr. an email mm-hmm. who forwards that to Donald Trump. It's two hops. Yeah. So and, and And most of the time it has to be limited to the scope of the investigation, but... I'm sure they follow that, right, Harry? I, I, I'm sure. That's why I like to label all my emails cookie recipes or family <laughs> secrets. And, uh, or, um, and it's the reason why, you know, you try, like, granted, they got your metadata, but you can always PGP encrypt your emails or yeah. do different things like that. That's that's one side thing. Like, if I knew the Discord would have grown the way it did, mm-hmm. as big as it did, 
I would have went to. I would have did something else with it. I'd have made sure we went to somewhere that was heavily encrypted. All our traffic is dark, and no one, unless you're in, you don't know. There's nothing in there going on that's even remotely scandalous, Harry. I do. I I know that, right? It's, it's, I know that. I know. I know. I know that it's Asian, just memes and waifus and, and gaming, a- Asian porn cartoons, but, and nerd talk and simple, dunk duck hunt. Like, right, and duck hunt. Yeah, you don't need encryption for duck hunting Asian cartoons. That's where you're wrong. <laughs> okay. I think you need to encrypt all the things. So when that one person or that one time you need to send something that does need to be encrypted, it doesn't set off any red I, flags. I've sent you an encrypted message on Facebook Messenger. You've never read it. Have you ever looked at it? What? Like the encrypted message? I don't trust the encryption on uh, on there. But well, I sent it to you and you, you never checked it. You yeah, did? Yeah. I don't really look at Messenger on Facebook. Well, you should because there's an encrypted message for me on there. Ooh, is it? Ooh, yeah, I sent you an encrypted message about a secret project uh-huh, uh-huh. that you never, ever read. Ooh. This was three weeks ago. Ooh. I've been meaning to confront you about this. So I don't want to hear about all your talk about encrypted messaging when you don't even use it. First off, because it's Facebook's encrypted, they use the same thing like Oprah Winston System uses, but they use a poor implementation of it. It's and not like it's, it's a state secret. It's a secret, but it's not a state doesn't secret. Ma- doesn't matter. Encrypt all the things. So when you have to send something innocent <sighs> like a secret project or anything like that, when you have to send something encrypted, let's say you, you, you actually find out, you find the secret sauce, you're down there, you know, um, and you find out, you got the chemical in your hand, you find fluoride being bad, and you want to send that information out. Well, this is your one and only encrypted message out to somebody, right? Well, guess right. what? They can easily trace that back who who it was. That's how they find people using Tor, because is this your only time using Tor? Did you just download the Tor browser? Right. Are you the only one in, a, in this entire city using Tor right now? Cool. I found the person using Tor. Doesn't matter. I've got enough, you know, so... I, I stopped paying attention like three minutes so ago. So that's why like every time I like some people like when they look at my tablet at Liberty and show, they notice like, hey, you're running tour. What are you doing? Nothing. Just running it. None of your business. No, I'm not doing anything. I'm just running tour. Why? Because if there's someone else here running tour that needs to get something out, hey, now if they have to go and bust somebody, there's two how people many, here running tour. How many fucking spies come to Liberty and Chill? I don't know. Where there you could need to be. send encrypted information. I want to, you know, I want to Rick be, Irvine needs to message Edward Snowden immediately. Christy, want, Christy needs to send a heart message over to Glenn Greenwald. In order to protect the people who need protecting, you need to use the same stuff that they do. Well, so I, I have people that need protecting, and I sent you an encrypted message, and you didn't even read it. I don't even have Facebook messages on my phone. So that's, why, that's why you didn't see it then, because you can only do it on your phone. Is that why? Because yeah. I, yeah, I, I, yeah, I uninstalled I'll Facebook. Tell you, I'll tell you the old-fashioned way, in person. Okay. That's another thing we can also do. We should do that. I should do that for Liberty Channel. We should do a key signing party. That sounds like one of them sex parties that you kids had in high school. First off, uh, I didn't have a... Um, it's a key was, party? It's a key party, key signing party. Basically, we exchange our uh, public keys in public with e- with each other. Should I and do the autistic story now? Or? <laughs> Ma- I'm just... Stu- should, I'm stuck. Fine. Should I fine, save fine, this for fine, last? I'm done. I'm done. Professor at prestigious university declares libertarian leaders seem to be on the autism spectrum. Should I do that now or later? Not autistic. Later. I'm not autistic. I- <laughs> <laughs> I know you're, Harry's very serious, and if you want to hear him talk very serious about all this stuff, low key wall, yeah, low yeah. key wall. You can join the Discord at mm-hmm. wearelibertarians.com. Get in on that cool community. Yep. 
and I tease them. I call them nerds, but you have to understand, I'm a nerd, so I say it lovingly. Like it's like you know, Harry can call other nerds things that I can't call them because I'm not that type of nerd. I like to send uh, Spangle um, pictures of my Behringer um, audio setup. Oh, disgraceful. <laughs> Behringer is garbage, and I disown I've you for owning Behringer it. Behringer headphones. I've got Behringer uh, mixer board. So join the Discord at wearelibertarians.com. You can join in every Wednesday night around 8-ish, 7-ish. Between it's seven a, and eight. It, uh, yeah, we go at eight because um, my wife usually ends up having to work today. She doesn't really get home to run a little after sixes, and I like to have dinner with her. And, and you know, I really don't get the ball rolling until like eight o'clock. So th- around eight o'clock, you can join eight in Eastern Standard Time. Join in on the fan conversation known as Loki Wall, where Harry presents a show. We the, he presents some articles, and then you guys in the Discord and then the Twitch stream can join in and uh, participate in the discussion. So Yeah, that's the main thing that makes me want to do this, keep doing the show every week is because the people in the Discord channel, they're like, hey, I want to talk about this this week. And I, I, I love it when people come and bring me articles and stuff that they want to talk about or what they want to bring up, you know, and yeah. not try to... And granted, everything you bring up, I'm going to tie back to libertarianism because it's, you know... It's, it's, Asian porn cartoons? I can tie that back to libertarianism. <laughs> Okay. So, yeah, you're going to low-key on Valentine's Day? Uh, no, I am not. I okay. was going to let the ball out about this, but like, um, I'll, I'll just let anyone know. I am going to go live, but it's going to be everyone's just going to get trolled. It's going to be a meme, so if you tune in, you're just going to get memed. <laughs> <laughs> it's just going to be... All, I've got a uh, ducky strip, and it's just going to send memes at you. It's, gonna be a, it's an old meme, but it'll check out. So, basically, low-key wall, that's where the fans get to program the episode. You can hear the audio only on the Patreon subscription fee. Uh, and then you can watch it, or you have to Wednesday. watch it live. Watch on, it live, 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 live on Twitch TV on eight PM. So we are, uh, we, are, we are libertarians. That's right, the letter R, libertarians. Uh, so Donald Trump released a budget. Um, you may have seen we talked about the budget and how much it spent, and we talked about it in very uh, overarching terms. But more more details have come out about the budget, and uh, it cuts a lot of spending. Uh, not military spending, but spending for the poor people, uh, as a Republican budget usually does. And the left is losing their mind. And kind of rightly so, but also there's probably, like, there are going to be, here's the thing. As I, re- as I kind of go through the details of this stuff, there's going to be two types of libertarians. There's going to be the one type of libertarian who is sitting there going, why can't we cut military spending first? Why can't we cut that? Why do we have to cut the food stamps first? Why do we have to go after the poor people? And then there's the other types of libertarians who will have their pants around their ankles beating off the entire time, going more, slower, 22 <laughs> more programs. You know? <laughs> like, so there's you decide which camp you're in. I'm just going to give you the facts here. Uh, Vox, anytime Trump or the right does anything, I like to go to Vox. And I'll tell you why I like Vox. I know that it's left-leaning, mm-hmm. but they are trying to get at the truth. Their analysis is left, but they're giving you facts. And so when I look for articles and prepping for the show, what I really try to look for are the facts. Like what are the what are the data points of this stuff? And like to get the full data points, I had to go to Vox, the Washington Post, and the Hill to get all the information that kind of satisfied my curiosity. But Vox usually they have these things called explainers. They've got a new podcast about explainers. 
where they kind of are just going through the facts. It's their analysis that kind of leans left. But I find them, it's not like Salon, where Salon is just nothing but screeching, mm-hmm. you know, and you just go, you're just on it, you're dishonest, you're just screeching, whatever. So Vox, I think, kind of fits um, my sensibility, and I find their counterpoints to a lot of what Trump says and does to go, I go, okay, I can see that point, as opposed to going, you're ridiculous, get out of here. It's kind of like Ben Shapiro on the right. Mm-hmm. Like, I look at Ben Shapiro, I listen to Ben Shapiro, and I go, okay. Like, he had an atrocious episode last week where he said, I represent libertarianism better than the Libertarian Party. You're ridiculous. Yeah, he's ridiculous. That's when he ridiculous talks about it. foreign policy and then tries to, like, you know, he tried to wedge in, like, all you, uh, in that same episode, you social libertarians. Well, no, that's just libertarians. Like, you're a conservative. That's why you don't believe in, you know, the social aspects of the libertarian movement is right. because you're a conservative. Mm-hmm. But don't try to, like, remake libertarianism into your version of conservatism. It's not. Correct, yeah. It's not. Yeah, the libertarian convenient people. I get ticked off. It's going to be ticked off up until, like, the election cycle when it starts, when the term libertarian stops being t- said. Yeah. All these different, like, right-winging out- outlets will they'll say the word libertarian up until the election season starts, and then it's like, nope, nope, I've never heard of that word. Yeah. Never heard of it. And then... On uh, this in the same episode, he talked about foreign policies, like all these soft, what soft military libertarians. I'm like, no, those are just called libertarians. Like, if you're a militarist like yourself, Ben, where you don't think that we're cutting enough, mil- he doesn't believe we should be cutting military spending. He should believes we should be increasing military spending. I'm like, you're not a libertarian. That's not what we believe. Like he right. he he bashed in the in, he was bashing Rand Paul, saying, huh, leave Afghanistan. What foolishness is this? I really like Ben Shapiro, mm-hmm. but man, come on, dude. Like, those are three three strikes and you're out. Like, you're really close to us, and we I agree with a lot that he says, but like, and he's the most fair-minded of anybody on the on the conservative movement. And that's yeah, kind of like how Vox... Yeah, it's yeah. very fair. Right. Yeah. How Vox is. Like, listen, I like Ben. I'm sure there are a lot of people that listen to this show that agree Ben Shapiro's good, but you roll your eyes when he says stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, so here's, here's the, some of the points of the budget. Uh, the president's budget has a total of 3.1 trillion in budget savings relative to current laws. Uh, it includes 1.75 trillion in new spending and tax cuts, 3.7 trillion in deficit reduction. That's the overwhelming, the result of the spending cuts and then 800 billion in reduced spending on wars and disaster recovery and 300 billion in savings due to lower interest payments on less debt. So that's why you don't want to have a lot of debt because then you don't have to pay a lot of interest. So, yeah. so the big policy proposed changes 42.3% cut to all non-defense discretionary spending. Uh, from the currently planned level of $756 billion in 2028 to $436 billion. This, inclu- this category includes funding for government agencies like the EPA, the State Department, safety net programs like Head Start, law enforcement spending at the FBI and the Department of Justice, and scientific research. 33.7% cut to the EPA. This is where the beating off starts. A twenty nine, a twenty nine point five percent cut to the National Science Foundation. Oh, yeah, a twenty two point two percent cut to the Army Corps of Engineers. Which uh, I don't know the Katrina. They, they can't bring a lot. They can't build anything. Right. A twenty one point four percent cut to the Labor Department. 
Uh, no job was ever created by the Labor Department, yeah. except at the Labor Department. Mm-hmm. And a 26.9% cut to the State Department. Uh, there is a $770 billion boost to defense spending over the next 10 years, <sighs> paid for partially by reducing overseas contingency operations. Okay, so yeah, they're going to increase, but they're lowering overseas contingency operations. Not known as wars. Yeah. Because then they'd have to actually follow the Constitution and have the, the Congress approve it. By 2028, total defense spending will be lower, but over the next few years it will be significantly higher, 7.9% higher in 2020. Uh, by 2028, there will be a 7.1% cut to Medicare due to reforms meant to cut payments to providers and reduce wasteful treatment. Uh, 22.5% cut to Medicaid and Obamacare subsidies by 2028. A 27.4% cut to SNAP, food stamps, and a 20.1% cut to Section 8 housing. $550 billion in new tax cuts, $199 billion over 10 years for a new infrastructure program. So he wants to spend $200 billion on infrastructure. Um, so uh, let's see, uh, they, tried to, they tried to get this passed, the, sort of the same thing last year, mm-hmm. and, it did, and it didn't fly, and this probably won't fly either. Question going on in the chat room uh, huh? from, uh, from Reinhold. Quick question. Are these cuts to spending or cuts to proposed increases in spending? Proposed increases. So they're not going to go in and they're just going to it's – like the, it's like we talked about last episode with the sequester. So as Creighton outlined, like there are three types of you know spending cuts. Mm-hmm. Like what never actually happens is they don't look at what you're spending in 20 mm-hmm. – what year is it? 2018 and go, eh, we're going to spend this less. Like they've already funded this year. Mm-hmm. And so what they're going to – what they're talking about is the next 10 years. Right. And so what they do when they cut spending in in government terms in Washington speak is they cut projected spending. Mm-hmm. The budget. Right, mm-hmm. the budget. So you can have – let's say you have an Obama – let's say – Bernie Sanders gets elected in 2020, okay? Mm-hmm. You 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 may see the spending go down in all of these areas over the next 2 years according to the Trump budget. Mm-hmm. But then Bernie Sanders can have his budget passed and it completely change things. This is why we had, you know, we we had surpluses towards the end of Clinton. It was projected surpluses. Right. It wasn't like we didn't have an extra hundy, hundy in the in the bank. Like mm-hmm. we had projected surpluses in the future. So you you have basically like you've you've balanced spending and deficits and debt and all that stuff. So I mean, it, it's, it's like government spending is just not the same as our personal budgets. Like we hear, well, I have to balance my personal budget at home. The government should live within its means. Your congressmen say that all the time, and that's just like a fundamentally dumb person, mm-hmm. because it's when you're dealing with the amount of money at the federal level and the amount of like b- bloat, <laughs> like the amount of agencies. It just it's it just functions differently. Public financing is completely different than yeah, your home budget. Different. Yeah, it's completely freaking different. And the simple fact that we're twenty twenty in debt, we're going to need to buy a planet and then flip that planet if we're going to get out out from our twenty. Coming for you, Pluto. And we hear you're a wreck. Hey, it keep it, you know it loses its classification all the time. We could probably pick it up for you know for, you know at auction, very cheap. So here's uh here's how this stuff is always you know when Bush tried to cut spending. And of course, every liberal commentator was, "Oh, this is this compassionate conservatism? 
and, and like this is informative for libertarians because when we're in power, this is how it's going to be written. Like the stuff mm-hmm. that we just outlined is necessary. You've got to do this stuff. You've got to start cutting spending right. because if you don't cut spending, you cannot cut taxes. You cannot raise deficits. Like well, we don't have the money to spend anymore. Well, the other thing is like um, it's the, the spending for like each year the budgets are growing, right? And it is growing like without like good studies on whether they have the capacity to do anything, right? Or they have too much? Are they actually efficient in what they do? So, right. but they're just growing their budget. They're just asking for more money and getting more, 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 more. That's the biggest issue. It's All like right. if you want to help people and gives people like a, the SNAP food program and stuff like that, you can help people. So, like but if you look at what you've got, the capacity you have to help, why do you need more cash? You're not becoming right. more efficient in your process. You know, <laughs> efficient processes on government. You're so cute. I do, yes, sir. <laughs> so this is the Washington Post. Uh, Trump's budget hits poor Americans the hardest. He, they're not wrong. <laughs> like, yeah. But there's going, everything hits but the poor the hardest, though. Aust- yeah. Austerity is austere for everybody. But it, it and they kind of write like it is a bit of an uh, a perception problem, an optics problem mm-hmm. uh, when you just cut taxes for the top one percent. Not true. I'm getting an extra hundred hundred bucks in my paycheck every month. Like. It, it, it they didn't cut taxes for the wealthy they cut taxes for businesses and corporations right. and and everybody got a tax cut for the most part uh but if you're going to have austerity you've got to cut things at every level mm-hmm. and when you cut a snap food program by 22% you know you're you're going from a relatively small amount um you know over the next decade they're cutting 213.5 billion uh, out of the food stamp program, supplemental nutrition assistance program known as SNAP, mm-hmm. uh, for th- you know thirty percent over the next decade. So you're you're going to have like that's a small number compared to the military budget, right? <laughs> you know what I mean. And so you're going to have higher percentages, so it looks worse. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's necessary. Do they do the whole bar graph with the bars together to offset everything? Right. Uh, SNAP provides an average of $125 per month to 42 million Americans. 42 million Americans out of 360, 330. Uh, for the last 40 years, the program has allowed beneficiaries to use SNAP benefits at grocery stores as if they were cash. Mm-hmm. Under the budget proposal, the Department of U.S. Agriculture would use a portion of those benefits to buy and deliver a package of U.S.-grown commodities to SNAP households that received $90 or more in assistance each month. Uh-oh. What, what's the uh-oh? That doesn't sound efficient. Well, so here's what they what Mule, uh, Mulvaney was arguing. Okay, so this is, again, from the Washington Post, same, article, same author, Caitlin Dewey. Um, Mick Mulvaney, the Office of Mudgeon. I am having the worst time talking tonight. <laughs> Office of Management and Budget Director Mick Mulvaney described in Monday a Blue Apron-type program. What we do... what. What we do is propose that for folks who are on a food stamps part, not all, part of their benefits would come in an actual, and I don't want to steal somebody's copyright, but a Blue Apron type program where you actually receive food instead of receive the cash. It lowers the cost to us because we can buy at wholesale prices, whereas they have to buy at retail. Also make sure they're getting nutritious food, so we're pretty excited about that. Uh, it raised eyebrows, and they make a point. 
Um, the food stamp program, which delivers an average of $1.37 per meal to a high-end meal kit that runs $10 per meal. Like, cost me... To, every Blue Apron is 20 bucks a, a meal well, <laughs> versus yeah, $2. Yeah. And the reason why, like... And if you ever... Um, I didn't really like, notice this until, like, my sister, um, after she got done running for city council in um, uh, Massachusetts. Um, she didn't run for Libertarian Party. She's a, uh, a Democrat, but in Bernie person. But, like, but it is also shocking. She, she was very shocked where we could agree on. But anyways... She was talking about um, watch your prices at the grocery store on like the months, and you can tell when the SNAP people get their benefits because the prices at the grocery store goes up. I think that's why formula is so expensive. Uh, form- oh, yeah, because of the uh, WIC program, the Women's yeah. Infant Children program. Like the can, a formula is $20. $20 from one of those cans. I can use about a can of formula. It takes me about, I can probably go through like two cans a week at, at the very least. But if you're on WIC, can't you get formula for free? Like, yeah, uh, for. Wick, I get 20 cans. 20 cans. Mm. 20 cans a month. Interesting. Yeah, 20 cans, which is like $200 a formula. So you basically have like government buying 20 cans for people. Wick is more of a, um, it's a pseudo public private company. Mm. They get contra, you know, but. Gotcha. Yeah. Which, if you think about it, but the thing about even with this is that most of these things can be handled by the like the community. Like, how much from Blue Apron? If Blue Apron just asked for a dollar for most, of, I don't know, or someone like that or something like that, just said like, "Hey, give us an extra dollar. We can feed you know, we, you know, we can feed people who you know, instead of using SNAP, they can use this type of benefit voluntarily. You could just voluntarily just pay for someone to help, help, well, well, help share the cost. Around. Taking half, and, and basically they want to provide. The, go ahead. But the other thing is, like, the idea of doing that through that benefit is also you take a lot of people's agency out of what people want to eat or culturally eat. Right. Because, you know, I, uh, but I know how to if eat. If you're using the government benefits, like, you, you're giving up some agency. Yeah, you're giving up some agency, though. And so if but, you're going to save the taxpayers by this USDA America's Harvest Box... Then we might as well just you know just send them money to just go buy... Uh, just send them five chickens and bags of rice. Well, people think that you can just go buy with SNAP benefits anything you want with WIC or SNAP. You can't do that. Like, they're, you're limited to items. You're right. Like, if you go through the store yeah. now, they have, you know, WIC eligible on a lot of... Yeah. Like and Meyer has WIC eligible, and the grocery store also sets themselves up and plays within the rules to get things into the WIC system too. Right, WIC and 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 the SNAP program. So basically, this would uh, the foods that would inc- be included in eighty one percent of SNAP benefits. Um, it would include shelf stable milk. Oh, I bet that's gross. Juice, grains, cereal, pasta, peanut butter, beans, and canned meat, fruits and vegetables. And the department estimated that it could supply these goods at about half the cost of retail, slashing the cost of SNAP while still feeding the hungry. So if, as a taxpayer, if we're going to cut spending, find a way to deliver benefits without, you know, really killing people. And so, like, a, a, a food box where they buy in bulk and save half the, the money that they would. I mean, you're basically getting more food. <laughs> Than you would with the SNAP benefits. Well, they just let them use their SNAP benefits to go to Costco or um, um, Sam's Club. I don't know. You know, which it's that's the other thing. It's like, well, there's, there's yeah, you can buy things wholesale, but who like? But 
in order to coordinate this, you need a shipping department. But when you, you're talking and about, and then you once you ship, right? So what, you're get, talking yeah. about you're talking about forty million people. So we're talking bulk in in a major part. But that's a very good point. Like Blue Apron, here's how it works. And if you haven't tried it, go to blueapron.com slash Bob and Tom. It'll help me out. You can get your meal. You can get thirty bucks if the website's still up. Uh, if not, send me an email and I'll send you. Uh, I can get free meals if I send you the referral code. So send an, an email editor at wearelibertarians dot com and I'll send you the code. If uh, the Bob and Tom thing doesn't work, but you get on the app, you choose from di- ten different meals. It's always exotic, cool ingredients. They send it to you. There's been you know a, a garlic or a vegetable or something that's not been right. You email them, and within 24 hours, they're either refunding some money or shipping you a new item or whatever. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, and it's very efficient. And like, still, Blue Aprons as a company is still in trouble, right? Right. And so, I have to look at this and I go, okay, maybe this is just a Republican Trojan horse where they're trying to get people off of benefits because they know they're not going to be able to offer customer service. The food's not going to come fresh. Correct. They're not going to be refunding money or providing new items or anything. Like, And so you are, uh, like you said, taking away choice mm-hmm. and delivering less quality services, but at the same time, you're you're dealing with government money and and like it is a temporary benefit and like it, it is something that is it, it, it's 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 not like blue apron right. it, it's it's charity essentially it's right. government charity yeah yeah it'd be better if it's uh, like if you don't like the service then do something else. <laughs> like yeah, yeah don't accept the public funds yeah well, yeah. Well, I, you know, I can see that, but it also is going to raise the price of different things like that because if right. Blue Apron news, they're going to get, what, $400 from SNAP benefits every lunch. Guess what's going to go up now? Yeah. Blue Apron's price is going to go up. Same thing if they did it with through Amazon. You know, right. it'd be different if everyone just got extra money back in their check every month and they went to their church local food bakery and they made sure that that tithe and that food bakery, uh, that food pantry, um, Donation goes up higher, you know, and these private organizations, people who actually look in the community, and because they, because your church private pantry, yeah, guess what? They buy food by like by the bulk. They get sure. their food by bulk, and they dish that out to the command the community. Or you can start your own thing, like um the um like sh- like the Shire Sharing, where they go out and fee- help feed the homeless out there. Um, so yeah. So. Uh yeah, so I think that was that was so twenty two agencies being uh, eliminated that the budget would eliminate. Now again, none of this is going to pass. Uh, this is this is not what passed. This is about this is their proposal. This is the same stuff they proposed last year, didn't go through. But it's you know a, a starting point, an extreme starting point where they're going to negotiate back. That's the way that things uh, govern. Uh, I won't post. I won't read all twenty-two. You can get the in the show links at wearelibertarians.com. dot uh, com. You can get all this, all these articles that we've talked about tonight. Um, you know, McGovern Dole International F- Food for Education, which donates agricultural commodities and financial assistance to carry out school feeding programs in foreign countries. Uh, the Manufacturing Extension Partnership, which subsidizes advisory and consulting services for small and medium-sized manufacturers. Uh, 21st Century Community Learning Centers, which helps communities establish or expand centers to provide before and after school programs. Um, The Advanced Research Project Agency, the National Wildlife Refuge Fund, which compensates communities for lost tax revenue when the federal government acquires their land. uh, uh, The Chemical Safety Board. Um, The Corporation for Public Broadcasting, which is the one that everybody's freaking out about, 
which f- provides funds for public television and radio stations, including PBS and NPR. They would get rid of that. Good. Um, legal Services Corporation uh, that provides legal assistance for low-income individuals, the National Endowments for Arts, uh, which funds American artists and projects with grants. National Endowment for Humanities uh, provides grants for humanities scholars. U.S. Trade and Development Agency, which provides U.S. goods and services for foreign projects. The Woodrow Wilson International School, the Woodrow Wilson International Center for Scholars, a think tank focused on international affairs and foreign policy. Why the government funds a think tank, I'll never know. But it's really funny how that particular think tank is the most interventionist and pro-military of them all. <laughs> <laughs> uh, next article, Trumponomics. Uh, this is on the Daily Wire. Feds just made history in tax collection. Here are the numbers. Now, here's the thing. Republicans, uh, you know, if you pass tax cuts, the numbers in tax collection actually go up. Mm-hmm. Oh, so? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like, that's not I'm, a good thing. Not an argument. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, if you pass tax cuts, more money is stolen from the population. Uh, and that's exactly what happens. Uh, according to the monthly Treasury statement released this week, the federal government just raked in more taxes in the first four months of the fiscal year than any other year, broke the January record for tax collection, and ran a surplus for the first time in months. In the month of January, which reflects some of the changes from the GOP's 1.5, uh, they brought in just over $361 billion in total tax revenues, a record month for January. So uh, let's see. What was a different year? Um, so the anti-taxation and theft crowd, we really need to be pushing for 95% tax? <laughs> well, yeah. <laughs> so, well, the thing is, is that it's always the argument that, uh, wow, this is costing the government $1.5 trillion. It's It doesn't. It doesn't cost the government anything. That's a foolish argument that the left makes where they say you're costing us one point – you're costing the people $1.5 trillion. No, no, we're just not being forced to give money mm-hmm. to something we don't want to give money to. Right. So, uh, an organization, as you have, have you, as you have heard, all of the stuff that we've talked about tonight mm-hmm. is government funded and doesn't work right. Speaking yep. of which, <laughs> uh, the Intercept, the ICE, the U.S. Immigrations and Customs Enforcement Agency, is targeting political opponents for deportation. Ravi Ragbir and rights groups say in court um, they are they are being sued for unconstitutionally using their power to suppress political dissidents by targeting outspoken immigration activists for surveillance and deportation, according to allegations in a federal lawsuit filed on Friday by immigration rights groups. Uh, defendants have been investigated, surveilled, harassed, raided, arrested, detained, and even deported these activists in order to silence them. The complaint alleges. The sharp spike in immigration enforcement, specifically targeting the most vocal immigration activists, is intended to stifle dissent. Um, And they say it violates – here's the funny part – the rights of these uh, non-citizens. The government's targeting of activists on the basis of their core political speech is unfair, discriminatory, and un-American, and it violates their First Amendment. Mm -hmm. Um, So – yes. Do you believe, Harry, that uh, you have a First Amendment right if you're an illegal immigrant? Um, I believe everyone that li- that you know that's alive has a First Amendment right. 
Okay. Be, well, they just have the right to the uh, freedom of they have the right to, of speech and the freedom of speech. The amendment is only the the chain that's placed onto the government. Sure, it's put on paper. I believe that they have the right to speak, mm-hmm. but I also believe that I also believe in the rule of law. And so, if you were an illegal immigrant who is not a citizen, or your visas have run out, and you choose to exercise that and speak out against the country where you're at. The government's probably going to notice you and deport you. That's true. That does happen. It's unfortunate. Which happened to, uh, just happened to, let's see, ICE detained two of the group's leaders, the New Sanctuary Coalition of New York City. Uh, Jean Montreville was deported to Haiti, and Ravi Ragbir was deported. Uh, it was stayed, so he's not being deported. Um, That's so. Good. Uh, like so many people who are living in this country under the threat of deportation, I know how important it is to raise our voices against the injustices of the system, Ragbeer said. The lawsuit is not just about me. It is about all members of our community who are speaking out in our struggle for immigrants' rights. Well, immigrants have rights when they become citizens. <laughs> I think um, immigrants have rights, and there's no such thing as an illegal person. Uh, free people are allowed to travel where free people are allowed to go. Um they have rights, whether you can recognize them as um, citizens or not, that's regards of the point, they still have rights. It's because they're humans, first and foremost. What, what, would you, what would you define, would you say that an outspoken New York City activist who declares immigrants' rights, do you think that you and he have the same view on what that term, I don't even know what that term really means, like immigrants' rights would probably be what? I don't know what terms he would use, but to me, I think you know. I think human beings as a whole just have rights. I don't know what terms or just definitions or that. I don't know what he's going to come with, but the, when it comes down to it, like the he has rights just for be, just being a human. Okay. That's, sorry, that's uh, no, no. I, <laughs> that's I, it. I, yeah, that's my point. Like, 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 like the like. But the, does he have a right to be in a country that has certain laws that say he's not? He does not have a right to be here. I think that law is unjust. Um, I think the a civil right, if you will. I I don't think it's a. Uh, I don't want to call it a right. I think that free people should be able to travel. Or free people, if this country is supposedly be free, I think they should be in. And the law that's keeping them out is a very unjust law. In that because, I in that I agree, but we um, also have a law, <laughs> and so while the law is on the books, until we can persuade lawmakers to change the law. Just should, the, because, should the law not be followed? Just because it's a law in the book doesn't mean it needs to be followed. If it's especially if it's an unjust law, and then also like it's battle for people. It was at one point in time in this country, it was against. It was for the law to uh, place chains on people of my skin color. At one point in time, it's also the law and for the president that he re- removed uh, people of Native American dis- uh, or- origin from the South and moved them out to out west. Mm-hmm. It was part of the law to that the United States did in um uh what is it sterilized uh, different dissidents or degenerates in this country um so just because something is a law on the book does not make it a just law and good people don't follow unjust laws should he have the right to vote oh, that's a that's a toughy one personally um because of my situation 
Um, as because one thing I as an Aaron because I don't really believe in like think voting is going to do anything for it. Mm-hmm. But should he has a vote to vote into the system? Hey, if he gets theft from the system and the and that theft apparatus is going to harass him and he's got to live under different goofy things under it, he's got to have some sort of representation. So I think he should be able to allow to vote. I'm sorry, that's what it is. Okay, I'm gonna get hate. Oh, I'm going to get just as much hate, but that's why I wanted you to, I, you know, hey. Thank you for st- letting me bring that out, but stuff, I'm just going to get <laughs> Well, maybe it's like I picked the story for that very reason, Harry. No, uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Not yeah. for you to get hate, but for you to give people some... Uh, well, yeah, just that, just that thought about it. Like when I, when people talk about I have the right to bear my arms, it's like, yes, and so do these immigrants that come to this country. Right. They have that right too. They have the right to privacy. They would free on their persons. Uh, most United States... Uh, People who call themselves citizens of people of the country, they don't walk around with any proof of their citizenship. None. None right. whatsoever. And most people don't even have it on them. How many people can, if they had to produce right now their birth certificate or a passport, could they do it? it my fucking birth certificate's my American face. I know, right? It's Son like, bitch. Come sorry. at me, bruh. You look Italian to me. Get out my house. Come and get it. You know? Uh, all right. So, f- last few stories. Uh, these are these are not not political stories. No more government. Uh, well, actually, no, that's not true. <laughs> uh, this is local governments being dirtbags. Twenty-two-year-old uh, teacher charged with sexual assault for sex with eighteen-year-old student. This is from the Daily Wire. Twenty-two-year-old former student teacher and track coach at a Connecticut high school had been charged with sexual assault for having intercourse and oral sex with an eighteen-year-old student. Taylor Taylor Ivy Boncall met the student in question while she was student teaching student teaching at Conrad High School in West Hartford. The 18-year-old was in some of her classes, but the two began having sexual relations at the end of December when Boncall's student teaching gig had ended and she was assigned as an assistant track and field coach at the school. Boncall has been charged with three counts of second-degree sexual assault, according to police. She's accused of engaging in intercourse and oral sex with the student under the statute that prohibits sexual conduct between teachers and students in their school. Mm -hmm. Uh, Both the 18-year-old and the former teacher told police that it was the student who initiated the relationship, asking Boncall for a phone number in mid-December. The duo began texting one another on December 13th. Uh, They both have feelings for each other. The victim refused to provide a written statement, said police. The victim expressed concern for Boncall with regard to the outcome of the investigation. So listen, we have to start asking when is when is what's the line, okay? Because obviously, sex between a student and a teacher is a problem. Yeah, huge problem. We have a rash of these super hot female teachers having sex with their, you know, probably just as hot male students who are eighteen and they're twenty-two. This girl's twenty-two. That's a four-year difference, which is not out of the realm of mm-hmm. reality. They initiated the uh, the relationship after she had ended her teach. She probably thought I'm safe. Mm-hmm. Apparently, was not because she was ignorant of the law. You know, it's a consensual sexual uh, relationship between two adults. You know, two people who are of age. She has no authority over the guy. She's an assistant track coach at the school, beginning her career. Like, it's not pervy Mister Watson who is using his. His, uh, uh, you know, position to manipulate young females. It's not even uh, an older teacher who is using her position to manipulate anyone. These two, 
this is an adult male making a decision to have sex with an adult female. Like at um, what? I, I mean, she should be fired. I, I can see you saying she should be fired, but three counts of sex, second degree sexual assault doesn't it cheapen the actual charges of sexual assault when you have something that is two consensual adults? The legion of men that are in jail for the exact same crime right now. Yes, you should be. <laughs> okay. I'm sorry. She right. should, so you're be- arguing equal, equal application under the law. Yeah. Yes, I am for that. But, but what about when could, a law is unjust, Harry? Should you it, not fight the unjust law? Um, You were just against the rule of law a moment ago. Now you're for ju- the rule of law. Where's your standards, <laughs> sir? All right. The thing is, right, I see what you're saying like that. But at the same time, he is still a child in school. Right. He is not an adult outside. He's still a child in school. She is technically a teacher in a position of power at the she school. She was no longer a teacher. Doesn't matter. Still a posi- formerly in a position of power, close enough to the to the time thing. Thing like if this if the genders would be reversed, people would still be uh, would be outraged, and they should be outraged for this. Um, Instead, everybody's like, "Nice." I know. Which should it be nice? No, not nice. Okay. Um, the uh, they uh, if it's the simple fact that these people are these are kids. These, the kids are off limits. I don't need you flirting, having sex with kids when they go to go, go to the school system. You know the rules. Keep keep away from school system. Probably has a zero tolerance policy, and she's fired. Like, yeah, case closed. Why is this? This is not. This is a victimless crime, Harry. This is a victimless crime. These are two adults engaged in a. This is what libertarians rail against all the time. This is not a sixteen-year-old and a twenty-two-year-old teacher. Yeah. This is an eighteen-year-old male. True, true. Why? And I where get is, the, and where I, is um, the crime here? Right, I get that. Yeah, she should definitely have been fired for like legally. Yeah, I can see. Yeah, it's that gray area because of one, you know, being eighteen. But if the, you know, I can see it from the one because he's still technically in school. But, and it can be seen as predatory. What other? I, it, but it's not predatory. He's the one preying on her. Th- not necessarily. The facts. Of not it, necessarily. M- male sexuality is very aggressive. It's going after doing stuff like that. Female sexuality is very passive. Wearing makeup, wearing heels, and stuff like that. Very passive. Stole that from Jordan Peterson. Anyways, yeah. I would say that I'm very passive. Uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm much more of a female uh, in, in terms of mating. Dear leaders, uh, it's a sub. So wait, Dobbs, no, I'm editor, not, I, I'm editor, I do. Definitely not a sub. Uh, I am not a sub, but I do like the women to come to me. Uh, but I'm, 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 you know, sliding in some DMs as we speak. But no, I, I just, I just don't agree. I think there is, there is no other. It's like, you know, yeah. if you passed a law. Saying that you you couldn't even get away constitutionally, I don't think passing a law saying anyone who is employed by a school system may not have sex with an adult. There is no court in the land that would find that a constitutional law. Like you can't say that one if you choose a career path, you can't have sex with an adult. An adult, like it just like you can, unless you're Arvin criminalize pedo behavior and having sex with people under 18 but once you're 18 and you are have full agency under the under society except you know drinking mm-hmm. then you yeah, seem to be smoking in indiana he's he's a he's an adult according to the law and she shouldn't just because she held a position and got a paycheck a very small part-time paycheck at that point from mm-hmm. a school system yeah like the, they waited until she to even talk until after she was 
working there. Yeah, it's 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 just foolish. Yeah, yeah, it's outrageous and, and just go overhand at that like that. But the th- but at the same time, like I said, like it's you if you look at the other cases that have gone through uh, that, it's almost like par for the course. Right. And it's, and it's actually a, and it's a very like sad thing of the like the whole different system of all the different other crap and mile long this this junk going on. But I doubt she'll see any real like real hard prison time in anything. She shouldn't. Yeah. She won't. Some at, at, at <laughs> best she'll, she'll probably get I don't know probably probation rather than service sentence on the weekends at some county jail or something like that or community service. Yeah. Like That's probably what's going to happen. At most it should not be a felony. Yeah. By any the, the, the sad thing about it is that uh, if, she, if she was a good teacher she probably will not be able to teach ever again. Exactly. Her ever whole again. career path I mean. Is done. Her entire four year degree is worth it's, money. And right I'm now. not even going to say she made a stupid decision. She's a 22 year old girl who made the who texted back and developed feelings after she was not employed. I mean it's she's a part like you remember when you were in school part time track coaches mm. like mm. It, it was not the same like I can remember my formative I can remember teachers names I can't tell you who was the part time track coach like talk of, oh well she had influence over him no she didn't she was a part time girls track coach <laughs> this dude was not running on the girls track team as a senior you don't shut know up you don't know that okay uh, I'm assuming his gender yeah how dare you um next article pissed me off. Uh-oh. Mom upset after school tells sixth graders they can't say no when asked to dance. <laughs> now this is in Utah, and apparently Mormons have uh, they're they're generally because they're polite people told not to uh, turn down a dance when asked. But for a school, well, let's just read this. When Natalie Richard's sixth grade daughter told her she couldn't say no if a boy asked her to dance at Canesville Elementary Valentine's dance, she didn't believe it at first. Oh, no, no, honey, Richard said of her reply. You guys are misunderstanding again. That's not how it is. However, after speaking to her daughter's teacher, she realized the statement was accurate. The teacher said she can't. She has to say yes. She has to accept. And I said, excuse me? Richard took her concern to the school principal. He basically just said that they have this dance set up this way for a long time, and they've never had any concern before, she said of his response. Lane Finley and the Weber School District confirms it's a rule, but she said it's meant to teach students how to be inclusive. Please be respectful. Be polite, Finley said. We want to promote kindness, so we want you to say yes when someone asks for you to dance. She said, I do see it from their perspective when it comes to that, but there are so many other ways to teach children how to be accepting them with a social dance. Richard says forcing students not to say no teaches them the wrong lesson. Sends a bad message to girls that the girls have to say yes. Sends a bad message to boys that girls can't say no. Prior to the dance, which is voluntary, students are told to fill out a card by selecting five people they want to dance with. The administration says if there's someone on the card you feel uncomfortable with, the student is encouraged to speak up. Okay, so there's a workaround there at least. Mm -hmm. If there's an issue, if there's students that are uncomfortable or having problems with another student, I mean, that's certainly something that can be addressed with that student and parents. However, Richard says, rejection is part of life, and at the end of the day, this policy is sending impressionable children the wrong message. Psychologically, my daughter keeps coming to me and saying, I can't say no to a boy. That's the message kids are getting. Oof. Yeah. She said parents aren't aware of this policy. She recommended uh, the to send out a permission slip detailing instructions given to students, and he agreed. As of now, the rule remains in place. Uh, you know, and I, I posted this on the the We Are Libertarians Facebook page uh, and on my own page, and I just I just wrote this. Uh, you know, I'll go through these points. Rejection equals growth. 
Mm-hmm. Every time I've been rejected, it makes you grow a little bit. Yes. You know, and you learn after enough rejection, right, libertarian fellas, that uh, you you grow some calluses to it. You grow some strength. Mm-hmm. You know, it makes us grow. We have to be rejected. Yep. The ability to overcome adversity builds self-esteem, mm-hmm. and the opposite is entitlement. And if you... You are overcoming the adversity of being rejected because mm-hmm. you're being rejected. I'm rejected a lot because I'm fat. So I decided if I don't want to be rejected as much, I should look healthy and lose weight. Mm-hmm. Some of you have horrible personalities and you're rejected because you're mean and you manipulate women. If you get rejected enough, you go, I should stop manipulating women. Negging and everything I read in the game is stupid. I shouldn't do that anymore. Um, I get rejected by women because I don't make any money. Hmm, I should get another job. I don't have enough friends, so there's not enough social proof in my life. I should I should have more fr- healthy friendships. I don't get dates because I dress like a slob and wear sweatpants every day. I should probably dress better. Romantic rejection is good for both men and women. There's a mm-hmm. there's a bunch of reasons why we get rejected. I listed some and we fix those things because we are rejected. You know, teaching men that they will always get the want they want from women is a dangerous thing for both sexes and society. And teaching women that they can't say no is what we've all been fighting against, right, Harry? Yeah, correct. Yeah, and just trying to teach and teaching about consent. And, and, and you know, it's bad enough that you know a lot of different things like sex education and everything else is bad. And you've got you put this rule on top of it. You know, that's it's awful. It's awful. Right. Yeah. Especially you know, especially, especially in the Me Too era that we <laughs> well. No one has the right to be romantically – romantic attention is not a human right. Yeah. And that's kind of what this is saying. And your right to be offended is a human right now. And it's it's ridiculous. Like you don't have a right to not be offended. You don't have a right to get what you want in life. And frankly, denying biology makes you a science denier. Like if you believe – like r- romantic r- – human attraction – Sexual attraction, and I know this isn't a sexual situation because these are kids, but that friction as a kid of mm-hmm. rejection and and boys and girls like they're like I got rejected a lot and it gave me self esteem issues, but it gave me something to work on. Mm-hmm. You know, bullying is not nice, and you don't want to be rude about it, but that's a teaching lesson to a child saying your base instincts are not good. You should produce higher thought, like. The, the the idea that if we just soft pedal everything, then everybody will stop bullying each other and it will be fine is really just entitlement. And that becomes a prison because nobody's actually achieving self-esteem because they're not overcoming adversity. I will have to say, like, um, it also giving a lot of these guys this false sense of, of security also with it, too. And also it, it, and I think it is a kind of I think this is kind of like the training wheel of sex education when you think about it, because the different like when. Unfortunately, with our culture, men have to make the first move in most relationships. It stinks. It is the way it is. I wish the culture would change. It could just be anyone, and it's getting that way. I'm noticing that You're, the, the, you're the a change. man. You're supposed um, to hunt. You're you're like, be a man. Ask a girl out. I'm going to do it literally as soon as we're done here. I'm asking a girl to dinner. Yeah, but like, I'm And a- you know what? If she says no, my world's not going to end. I'm going to go, okay, let's right, be friends. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because the rejection of her saying no... My identity is so secure because mm-hmm. I'm a podcast host. I'm an employee at this great company. I have great friends. I have, you know, I'm 
I'm happy with working out every day. I eat good food. Like I'm a Christian. Mm-hmm. I like I have all these elements to my identity that make me happy and fulfill me. So one person rejecting me means nothing. And if you are the person who is afraid to ask someone out, then you're placing too much value on asking a woman out. The rejection means absolutely nothing in the grand scheme of your life. Correct. But these young boys, right, that first, the initial thing of the dating is is asking someone out, right? That right. rejection. So these boys are going to grow up with a sense of, I have asked out like 50 girls. They've all said yes to me to dancing. They finally, first, first time they're 18 or something in college, they go out there like, hey, I'm blah, blah, blah. I want to go like, no. It's going to shock them. Right. Shock them. We're going to wonder, like, man, there's like 10 guys from Utah just hung themselves in the dorm room. <laughs> Stone says, uh, never ask a girl out on text. You're wrong. Ask a girl out anytime you possibly can. And the thing is, is most women will say yes. They will go on a date with you. At the very least, they'll get some free food out of you. Like Never pay on the first date. I, I, I have been on 100 first dates in the last four years, mm-hmm. and it's been great, and I've made a ton of great friends. Obviously, I've not found a romantic partner that's my life mate, and that's fine because I – uh, most of those women became friends or at least casual acquaintances where we share inside jokes. Like some of them I don't remember. Some of them like it's fun to go out and just have a first date. And that's why women will say yes, because they may like, mm, I don't know. Or you never know if they're sitting there going, I really hope he asks me out. I'd say 40 percent of the time women have asked me out mm-hmm. like they're, they're like they're if you're a woman listening, ask a guy out. Yeah, go for it. Yeah, go for it. Shoot your shot. Shoot your shot. Exactly. Shoot your shot. Take that ball, shoot your shot. Like, you can go out, you're going to go out in your 20s on 500 first dates, let's say. Uh, and, and you may, and none of those people are not going to be for you. Yeah. You know, you even may even marry one of them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> uh, one of them may be your Lacey. Yeah. And Harry's been with his... Uh, be 15 years this June. Betrothed for 15 years. I was together with someone for almost seven and it was great, but then it ended, and, you know, like, you're going to go out on five, like, it's a numbers game, you know what I mean? Like, you're going to just add, eventually, the more dates you go out on, the more you're going to learn what you like and don't like, and then you'll click. But just go out on dates. I made Lacey pay for her own popcorn when we went to the movies. <laughs> That's right. Okay. So, Stone, ask ask some girls out. This mm-hmm. is really, this whole message has been to Little Stone, Yeah. who, yeah. if you if you watch the, the Manhunt Unabomber Netflix show which is great is that oh, it's really good at the end when he like he's thinking about having a kid the kid mm-hmm. looks just like stone it's so funny <laughs> you see oh uh, you got to get in the facebook group and look at the stone pics yeah i saw like, him, I was yeah. like, whoa put that back yeah. put that back <laughs> another reason to be uh in dearlier's court so you can get to know stone super fan stone he's a good kid yep um and giving up our christy p- christy avery's given up that's not our, the right way either our, our pure shining light which is stone Please don't corrupt him. Nice, nice young boy. Uh, all right, final story for the night. Prove- professor at prestigious university declares libertarian leaders seem to be on the autism spectrum. This is on The Blaze. Uh, Duke University history professor Nancy McLean said during a Thursday lecture in New York City that the architects of libertarianism seem to be on the autism spectrum. Um, <laughs> they don't feel solidarity or empathy with others and sometimes have relationship troubles. Oh, shit, I just said I went on a lot of dates. Um, I didn't put this in the book, but I'll say it here. It's striking to me how many of the architects of this cause seem to be on the autism spectrum. You know, people who don't feel solidarity or empathy with others, who have kind of difficult human relationships. <laughs> Comments, Harry? 
uh, um, I don't know what she's talking about. <laughs> she yeah, she wrote this book, and I actually just checked it out from the library, but I didn't even read it. I had tur- turned it back in. Democracy in Chains, the deep history of the radical right stealth plan for America. Ooh. And it looked kind of ridiculous, so I just yeah. turned it back in. Yeah, it was. And, like, some of the like stuff is like okay, it's a little truth, give a little credence to it. But then like hold through this article and like people talk about all the praise she was giving to the left and stuff like that. And the thing I was I think uh, we were talking about too is like if the libertarian party and stuff like that, they've got this small percentage of the autism, and you know this is where the you know this is where the people on the autism spectrum go, right? This is their, their right. political party, right? That where does the sociopath go? Mm. With the, you know, with the manipulating, you know, like, uh, you know, the, the, the people with megalomania. Wh- which party are they from? What about the hysterical, unhinged emotions, crying mm-hmm. all the time, crazy people? Yeah, the an- yeah, the the, the um, anti personality disorder people. Where are they right. going? The hysterotics. Yeah. They're in the White House, but right. uh, yeah, he's like, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> no, you know, like other parties are like where they just want to go and manipulate people, and like um, I've seen something like the. The worst people in the world get promoted in jobs that like they're meant to be helping people, but they I've never seen them help a single person in their entire life. Yet they have jobs where they're meant to help people, and I've seen them at the job, and I've seen them help a single person, but they get promoted. It's like, oh, that's the culture there. Yeah, I get that. No, I mean, I think there's no doubt that a lot of libertarians are engineers and accountants and on the spectrum, and that. But that's. You know, it's not an overwhelming amount, and it's kind of become a joke. It's like a self, it's like a, a a self-effacing joke that libertarians like to tell about themselves. Like you can call us autistic, but like we can call ourselves autistic, but don't you dare fucking call us autistic. We'll come at you, lady. Yeah. Like get out of here, That's Nancy. That's our word. That's our word. You don't call us autistic. Like, uh, but no, I I don't think I do think that she is right in that the. The Rothbardians and the more economically focused elements of the movement are much more prevalent and much more uh, revered in the movement than people who have feelings. And so people people who – like I am much more of an emotional person. I read like Mary Ruart's book um, – Healing, yeah, yeah. healing, not healing our world. He- um, healing our world, I think, is what it is. is. It? Yeah, it right? it's it's right over there. It's just we can't see it because it's too dark. But uh, healing our world by Nancy, uh, Nancy, uh, Mary Roart is a great. Yeah, book. I did get it right. Yeah, yeah. It's healing our world. Yes. Healing our world was a very. Uh, if you're an emotional based person, if you mm-hmm. focus on stories and emotions more, like I do. Uh, which which is probably why you listen to this podcast, and I think you'll really like that book. Uh, as opposed to something like Rothbard's uh, Liberty, yeah, New Liberty, New or... for New Liberty, where it's much more economics focused. Like, I, I, I get that those people, people who like systems and understand systems, I'm not one of those people. I love people, mm-hmm. you know. Like, I love the irrationality of people. Like, the idea of spontaneous order excites me mm-hmm. because you know. But. That's why spontaneous order exists is become so, because libertarians had to create a system about spontaneity and chaos, <laughs> <laughs> you know. And so, I do find that there is some valid criticism in that the more prominent voices are more economic based. Um, but you know, this show is much more about the the politics and the human drama of politics and less about economics. I really like having Creighton back the last month because Creighton is much more economically focused mm-hmm. uh so yeah it it 
I think there is some validity to it, but it's her stereotyping and generalizing, and I just don't think that we should be uh, surprised that a liberal-leaning professor made a derisive stereotype towards somebody who is right-leaning. Yeah, <laughs> like, right. like, okay, you know, if Ooh, anything... Shocker. Right. So, all right, Harry, final thoughts for the episode. Uh, let's see here. Um, just uh, put it up there, just uh, please jump in the discord um and do remember like I, we have a different uh, channels in there it's kind of works just like slack come in communicate with other people say hi different things um like i said the only really hard fast rule of the of the discord channel is just to make sure keep things in the channels that they belong and try not to send shiny shoe people to my house uh, <laughs> let's see uh like i said earlier i'm not going to do a show tomorrow uh, for low-key wall it's just going to be a meme photo, so if you turn in... When Man- goes- Sorry, management. I just checked with the wall management, and uh-huh. they denied your uh, time off. So okay. that's too bad, man. Uh, Sorry. So low-key wall tomorrow. Tune into Twitch. I'll have to send them a, send them, send them a letter. Let me check with them. I got, you know, I got a letter. I got a, I got a letter. And then, uh, let's see, we got Liberty and Chill on a Friday. Uh, I, um, I'm still a bit busy with the last bit of school this last two weeks of the semester. It's getting kicking my butt. Um, so I hope we finish a lot of different things out for Liberty Chill. So I apologize for how you do that. We're doing Friday Night Gaming. And uh, let's see. Let me check my notes, make sure I got everything that I wanted to say off here because I thought I had something and I don't remember it right now. And I apparently did not write a note for that. And that freaking sucks. <laughs> <laughs> because I'm like, ah, there's something like a little bit of my tongue that I, th- I really wanted to get off my thing. Especially like with all this uh, not. Oh, now I remember. I had to look over the chat. Okay. Um, the one thing is I just want like libertarians and other people to just give a thought about is um, things don't happen in a vacuum. If I've been giving a thought, like almost a thought experiment, if the United States did open its borders and allowed people in here, a lot of people believe that the welfare state would cripple. But would it? But would it? Because it wouldn't do it in a vacuum. It would technically get more money in with more people paying into the system. Could right. it handle it all of it? it would the increased rush of of the, of people wanting things in american dollars what would it do to the currency hmm. this would not ha- you know the whole like this things wouldn't happen in a vacuum these other demands that would happen or happen to go for good place more people in the country more more needs more necessary for houses and other goods hmm. things don't happen you know that's out of the thing um i don't i don't know i don't have the answers for it. like i said it's a thought experiment i just started uh myself i just started thinking about saturday night um, just up studying like you know this wouldn't happen if I can what would happen so um, message me on discord if you have thoughts about that or you're anything like that or you think I'm wrong about that you want to send me something or if you or if I'm you know or if I'm kind of right about it like it wouldn't happen back you know but other things would boost it up you know and you've got some other like facts to support that I'll take that as well too please cool alright Discord again, you can find that at the front page of We Are Libertarians. Same with the Facebook group. Join the community. All right. I, I, you know, I've been watching Manhunt, the Unabomber series on Netflix. Uh, Four out of five stars. Very good. Um, Really interesting. Uh, Very non- truthful (laughs) like (laughs) it's, it's a drama that reflects real life but if you're looking for the actual um, tr- like breakdown of real events. That's mm-hmm. this is not the place for it. Um, mm-hmm. But 
they in I think what is probably the final episode. I think I'm on episode six where they kind of show you his background. So if you don't know, like let's refresh because there's probably a lot of people that don't know who the Unabomber is. But kids, the '90s were nuts. All right, the '90s were absolutely bananas. You had like O.J. Simpson was the most like The Rock is probably the only thing that the only person that is comparable. Imagine that The Rock were not only on Monday Night Football and did TV commercials and made movies, but he was in doing endorsements and he was a fitness guy and he had this passports. Like he, like O.J. Simpson was one of the biggest stars in the entire country because in the seventies everybody knew that they had to start putting black faces in commercials and showing black faces, but O.J. was white (laughs) like oj didn't oj was in la in the late 60s at ucla or at at at, uh no it wasn't ucla it was the other one um the trojans Uh, Uh, university of california look up the trojans please i I don't want to get that wrong but so he's like this famous guy he's in he's you know it's the height of black power he's the biggest star in the country and he just refuses to get on the Stokely Carmichael Black Panther Black Power bandwagon. And uh, just is the ESPN documentary about him is great. So is the uh, the USC, USC Trojans. Yeah, yeah, University of Southern California. Yeah. yeah, and so is the Cuba Gooding Jr. movie about the trial. But uh, just a really interesting cultural figure. Here from the 70s and 80s into the 90s, here's the biggest star in the, in the world. And he... Butchers to his ex-wife, two people, and then we have this trial that we can't even explain to you, eighteen-year-olds. Like you just can't. It was yeah, everywhere. It was, it was yeah, crazy. Yeah, um, you had the two biggest skating stars in the Olympics. One of them had her husband, Jeff Galuli. Tanya Harding had Jeff Galuli beat Nancy Kerrigan's knee, and then she had a comeback. You had uh, what? Were, you had. Uh, John Benet Ramsey disappear. Mm-hmm. You had Lorena Bobbitt cut off her husband's dick. You had Joey Buttafuoco get shot by his sixteen-year-old girlfriend. Ninety-two LA riots. Ninety-two LA riots. Like the nineties were nuts. And you also had Ruby. You had Ruby Ridge in the late eighties. The Waco, the Waco tragedy. Uh, I'm not going to call them a cult. Like the Waco stuff is bubbling back up several great podcasts about waco Mm -hmm. backstory is a really good history podcast and they just did something on waco uh you had what was you had heaven's gate they all killed themselves what are some of the other cultish type things and government standoff there was another one the you had the oklahoma city bombings world trade center bombings which uh yeah the other oklahoma city was in was in september the 11th in 93 or 93 it was it was the so you just had all this massive stuff and there was just always all kinds of crazy happenings and so now 30 years later they're making documentaries about it and i love it because watching the oj and i tanya and and the earthquake in california yeah big earthquake yeah Man. Yeah, it was really a crazy ass decade, and mm-hmm. then you had the Clinton scandal. Mm-hmm. It was really like, yeah, you had, an, and then in the two thousands, you had nine eleven, yeah, and the wars, and mm-hmm. that was kind of it. But like the nineties, it was just like this last gasp. It was right as the internet was developing, mm-hmm. and so you still had major media. It still had some power. Crypto wars, the 
uh, third party candidate getting on stage with his graphs. So oh they, yeah, so Ross they, Perot. Uh, so that's why you can't bring graphs and show proof of anything <laughs> at debates. Yeah. So really, just a crazy decade as the rise of the internet, and it was just just a. Oh, it was. I loved being a kid in the nineties. And uh, obviously, Jesse Jesse Spanos overdosing on caffeine pills and Saved by the Bell. She was so excited. She's so scared. So it, it was now they're remaking all this stuff, and I just love it. And one of the things that they've covered is the Unabomber. Well, Ted Kaczynski, it turns out, was this guy who was sending packages to universities and scientists for seventeen. I think it was seventeen years blowing up bombs. And it ends in the most expensive, most expansive manhunt in FBI history. And uh, they finally track him down and catch him after the manifesto is released. Um, which, if you read the manifesto, kind of getting on board as I read through the manifesto. <laughs> uh, li- lived in this cabin in the woods in Montana, and they finally track him down. But in the uh, one fact I did not know about Ted Kaczynski. And they show it in the in the uh, in the miniseries is in the last episode. He was part of MK Ultra. MK Ultra was a CIA experiment to mimic the mind control of the Soviet Union as they thought existed, and so they took Harvard students and basically manipulated their brains. Ted Kaczynski was a legitimate uber genius, one sixty seven IQ, mm-hmm. brilliant guy. Goes to Harvard at 16, gets picked to be part of the CIA program, and they show they recreate the actual experiments in the in the show, mm-hmm. and the entire show is worth watching to see what your government did to people. And you go, oh, okay, so the government does mind control experiments on a 16 year old child, and then he turns on colleges and the government and starts blowing them up. Mm-hmm. When he's older, Pfft, you don't say. You don't say. You don't say. And it, you just go. It's almost like blowback or it's, something. It's like, so as like they've been covering Waco and mm-hmm. Ruby Ridge and the Unabomber and like they make mini series out of all these things and they like do, you listen to podcasts about all these things. You just sit there and you listen and you go, yeah, government fucked that up. <laughs> yep. <laughs> you know, and this is no different. You just sit there and go, that Unabomber guy was terrible. He killed all these people. He blew them up in a savage way. Oh, the government had something to do with it. Yeah, that makes sense. Right. Mm-hmm. Okay. Like, you just, you can't, you can't even have a serial killer these days without the government contributing to it, can you, Harry? <laughs> That's why they all suck. Um, um, the other thing with it, like... Uh, Jeffrey I wanted, Dahmer? Yeah, Jeffrey Dahmer? Uh, um, yeah. Eating people? Yeah. <laughs> One thing I want to know, uh, do they actually talk about how he was uh, he was captured? Do they get to, get to that? Oh, they haven't I, I haven't gotten to that point yet. Okay. They probably do. But. That, was, was, that was also the brilliant thing. The FBI couldn't find him. Right. He was offline and... He was in, in Montana in a cabin. Yeah. And uh, like yeah, basically like um, people found him. Right, people people picked him apart. Well, they decided to finally publish the manifesto, mm-hmm. and the whole documentary kind of centers around this uh, one agent who was an agent and an amalgamation, and way overblown for the investigation. So they published the the investig they published the manifesto, and then his sister in law who hated him. Mm-hmm. Uh, read it showed it to her brother and her brother his brother basically said this might be my brother because he's saying the same things he said in these letters Mm -hmm. and the same thing he's been saying for 20 years Mm -hmm. 
And he's just a person who was basically broken by the CIA experiment and then killed a bunch of people as a result. I mean, I'm yeah. not taking away his personal responsibility, but right. at the same time, like, whew. Oof, yeah. I, it just it blew my it, mind. It like, I'm watching, yeah. I'm watching this an hour before you get here, and I just go, the yeah. government is just behind. When is Alex Jones going to stop being right? <laughs> I can't. The scary part about it is like, ah, oh, get that back. <gasps> All right, kids. Thanks so much for joining us here in this episode. Thank you to Christy Avery, Brandon Luke, Craig DaCosta, and Jason Doolittle for joining for being our one hundred dollar a month subscribers on Patreon. Uh, we uh, more coming uh, along that lines. I won't I won't speak out loud yet uh, until I'm ready. I have a bad habit of that. I yep. uh, just get excited. So very excited, very excited that you guys are here, that you have joined us, and we appreciate you for being uh, listeners to We Are Libertarians. And thank you for spreading the word. And until next time, we say uh, I don't know what we say anymore. But until next time, we'll see you. I don't know. Goodbye. That's maybe we should end it with goodbye. Bye bye. Goodbye. Thank you for listening to the We Are Libertarians Network. Get our other shows at wearelibertarians.com. <laughs>